What's up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking. Our guest for this episode is Tony Cabral. Tony is a gambling expert, a student of Darwin Ortiz, friends with Jason Ladani, if you listen to that episode. And we got a chance to sit down and hang out a little bit at Lance Pierce's Pebblepalooza convention in Dallas this last weekend. We talked about gambling and gambling exposés, gambling magic performed for laypeople and how they feel about it. We talked about the intentionality that you need when you're performing. And I learned a lot about Tony, about his life, about his family and how he grew up and how he got to be who he is. He works at a bar in Boston, and if you live out there, I suggest you go and see him and meet up with him because he's a wonderful guy. Super nice, really funny, incredibly talented. I'm a huge fan. So get into his episode. If you haven't already, follow us on all the social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, join our newsletter, because we're going to be relaunching Art of Magic this month, and that's really, really exciting. I'm blown away by the redesign and all the new functionality how intuitive and beautiful and quick the site works it's gonna be amazing you are all going to love it so that's at treasury of wonder and at magical thinking podcast join the facebook group you can search magical thinking to find it and also please very much join the patreon if you want more of me in your life which i can't imagine that you would but apparently some people already do go to patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash magical thinking and you can get a bunch of cool exclusive content that is adjacent to the podcast. It's really cool. I'm excited about it. And I think you will be too if you check it out. So get into Tony's episode. He's awesome. This was really fun. I really enjoyed talking with him, even though we were both exhausted because of the convention. It was a great time. So anyway, Tony Cabral, enjoy. So how's it going? Oh, well, so far so good, man. It's been a hell of a weekend. <laughs> oh my so, gosh, how much sleep did you get last night? Uh, well, I got. I always get a little less. I always get a little less on the road because I, somewhere, in my late thirties, I stop. I stop sleeping soundly when I'm not in my own bed. Like, I, if I'm at home, I can go to bed late and I'll just go straight through. But, and also we've got the kid in the room, so I went to bed at three, and I went to bed at three, and then. They, what time did they get up? So they, like, the wife and kid woke up around like 7 or 8, and of course they're bopping around the room trying to get shit together. And so, so I don't know, maybe 4 or 5, and then maybe try to tack another half hour and a half on that before I got to go downstairs and, uh, and, and do the Not a Talent show. So... <laughs> But How did was, that go this morning? I didn't. I'm, it was it was fun. It's always a it's always kind of a fly by the seat of your pants affair. <laughs> I mean, it was it kind of intentionally, but um, but we put together some good performances, some good stuff, and um, and uh, it was it was a, I, I feel like it was a little more. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think I think last year was a little more a little more fun uh, in terms of like the number of people going yeah like. It's kind of weird to, to have yeah, we get the kicking in. It's weird to have what? I said it's weird to have the um it's 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 weird I don't know, because people know it's kind of a loosey goosey uh, loosey goosey kind of <laughs> affair. Yeah. I, I think they were a little I think there were more people were more excited about it last year and then you know, arbitrary reasons for giving out this useless award. <laughs> so, so, so. It's like whose line? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So you get it. I think the the idea if we do if we do another one of these and we do another one of those, uh, just try to tie everything in and and um, 
and uh, make, make it make it a make, make it a little more formless, but again, communicate the idea that this is fun. This is going to be weird. This is this is going to be strange. And I mean, we ended up we ended up determining the winner with a, a crudely drawn crudely drawn circle with numbers on it. And Curtis has a fidget spinner, <laughs> so it just went bang, and then it's got three prongs on it. So we're like, eh, one, two, three. Okay, you guys. <laughs> That's awesome. So it's it's kind of kind of weird when you've got nothing. Uh, you know, you know, and, and something like, you know, it's, 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 it's like, yeah, it's like, it's like, who's lying or the gong show. Like there's nothing prestigious there other than just to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so. It would be cool though if it was, if there was like a game, you know, if hmm. it was almost sort of improv based and it was like, okay, who signs up? You don't, you don't get to know what it is beforehand, but you just have the balls to be like, okay, I'll, I volunteer. Hmm. Yeah. I volunteer the, as tribute. And then the, right, like yeah, exactly. some kind of game, like, okay, you have to build a trick or whatever do a thing and right well it was it was kind you of you can't use yeah. your, your hands you know, right, right right oh, I, well i think it was fun because because the because the um it, it might have been a little let down with the with the fidget spinner but i remember last year like we had no idea how we were going to give out the award and just sitting there off of the sidelines by ourselves that <laughs> Curtis happened to mention that only one act actually mentioned Pebble Palooza. So it's like, hey, he said the secret word. Here's the duck. You know, like that was also. And Lauren got up and she goes, she, she goes, from what I remember last year, she's just like, Pebble, Pebble Palooza, P75, Lance like, she's I'm like, what is this? SEO for <laughs> Magic Act? It was, uh, but it, it's, it's, it's fun. It's a good time. It's always nice to. I think the fun of these small gatherings, and I do. I've always mostly gone to like the Super Session and the Buffalo Fifty Two and and uh, GGG and John Lucas uh, uh, Motor City. They they kind of push it as far as the size goes, but but for the most part, it's just the it's the it's the hanging out and the and the, and the showing off. So <laughs> yeah, particularly if you can get a crowd of like I, I've always been. I was always intrigued in Buffalo, in particular. There's there's always a Saturday night crowd of laymen because it's at a um, it's at a American Legion Hall, I think, or VFW. It's a, I think it's American Legion. So like Saturday night, I remember the one of the first years I went. There was a big sign out front on Saturday that said "Magicians Saturday." Like that's all it said. It just said <laughs> "Magicians Saturday," and so I'm there bopping around, and sure enough, people coming in. And, you know, because Buffalo's like a town, people are like running up to almost desperate. They're like, are you one of the magicians? Do something. And it's like, okay. Oh, <laughs> it's, either, it's either that or Jenny. So <laughs> um, there's only so much Jenny you can drink. So so it's kind of, you know, I mean, that's really where the rubber hits the road for me anyway. It's just the, just the performance. I, um, I know, if, we're, if we're recording, I wasn't going to, I'm not going to say it, but it, someone was here uh uh, New Face was here couple, past couple nights, and and uh, I was here. Somebody's trying to do something for me. He's like, "Don't treat me like a layman. Just show me the move. Just show me the move. Just show me. The move. Don't treat me like a layman. Just show me the move." And I'm like, "Where's the where's the goddamn fun in that?" You know, <laughs> you know kind of like, you know, it's you know, it, that's that's where the rubber rubber hits the road for me. And I've never I've never been concerned about about performing, you know, about trying to fool a magician or anything like that. Or, yeah, yeah. Or uh, like one of my one of my favorite pieces to work at the bars is 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 a, is a boatload of second dealing. Yeah, and it's I always try to use it as an object lesson if and whenever I'm lecturing as an object lesson because you show it to a, magi- a magician a magician looks at that and says oh that's a neat center, uh, second deal demo. But a layman looks at that and since I haven't said anything about seconds, yeah, 
they're wondering what the hell is going on there because the same card keeps I'm dealing around a poker and the same card keeps coming up same card keeps coming up and they don't know they don't the penny doesn't drop because I mean, ideally you know my chops are up but the penny doesn't drop because you know I, I haven't given them any reason to yeah but a magician looks at them and goes oh okay I was yeah. doing a version of the um, they make the leap that the lay person has no way to do uh, right yeah, exactly yeah it was, um, like another one of my favorites currently is a is a version of the was inspired by Ladani, um, but it's a version of the the invisible card, the Biddle trick. Mm-hmm. And as it stands, it's a really really strong divination of a card because it's very hands off. They cut, you know, they, they they cut the cards. I'm not touching them. They cut the cards. They look at the cards. They shuffle up the packet. So that card is in there. There's no way I can know what that card is. And so then by process of elimination, I get down to five cards. And this is where magicians look at it and go, "Oh, okay, we're doing, we're, we're playing this song now." Yeah. Whereas, whereas a, a normal audience has no idea what's coming. So I said, "One, two, three, four. This is, I'm just just look at these five cards. Just look at these five cards." And I say, "You know what? I'm going to commit to these." In fact, put your hand on five on top of the deck. Is it one of these five? It's one of these five, and then gone. Mm-hmm. And invariably, if they think it's if, if they if they if they think it's going to go back in the deck, they think it's on top. They have no idea yep. that it's yep. going back in the middle. So it's 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 again the the reactions. Um, I've always spent most of my time just just out in bars, just trying to get just trying to get flight time. You know, that's that's where I figure all this stuff works. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so that's yeah. good too because nobody has a place to get flight time. You know, there's not like. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you have to you have to find it, and and the fun of the the, the fun of the bar stuff. Uh, I, I I used to joke for a while um, that because in the back of in the back of Strong Magic, uh, Darwin has a chapter about about uh, venue and performing and how you get performance experience and fellow layman and all that kind of thing. And one of the things he mentions, which is kind of funny because Darwin doesn't drink, is he mentions that an option you have is to become a regular at a local watering hole or bar or tavern or something like that mm-hmm. you know just hanging out you know you start socializing and then at some point you know start you know just you know try it out you know just go yeah. for it hey can I show you something I've been you know show something I've been working on and then after a while you start to become you know if you're any good at it, you start to become the, the, the known as the card trick guy the guy with the, you know or the guy with the magic tricks which is how I did it for a long, long time when I was living in Providence. It was it was Trinity Brewhouse. I, I was you know I worked nearby, so I would go there have dinner and you know way too much beer and uh, and then and invariably just sitting there uh, shuffling and somebody come over and say what the hell are you doing with the cards oh okay here we go. and you're off and running mm-hmm. so I did I was lived there for five so that was like five years of that and then when I moved moved in with uh, my wife to Boston the first thing I did was like I need to find somewhere to go and then it became. It was John Harvard's in, in Harvard Square for a while, a couple other places, and now I get paid to do this stuff. But getting back to the Darwin's recommendation, um, back when I wasn't getting paid <laughs> to perform at bars, I, I, I would often joke to people, say, yeah, and because of that, Darwin Ortiz made me a bar fly. <laughs> you know, because sometimes you're there, you know, sometimes you're just sitting there with, because it was a very passive aggressive. I'm not going to sit there bothering everybody. People are going to think I'm begging off for tips or something. Yeah. But, you know, there are plenty of nights that I was just there sitting at a bar having drinks by myself with a deck of cards. Yeah. Um, not bothering anybody because nobody wanted to be bothered. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, so that was, so that was ultimately where I got, where I got a lot of, you know, time in front of normal humans. Um, and again, of course, I get paid for that now. And, 
And uh, it's also funny because I would, for a long time, I was developing a lot of like more formal type close up and not the kind of stuff you would expect would work in a bar. Yeah. Um, or in that kind of, in that kind of, uh, what, what the average person imagines a, a bar setting is going to be. And, yeah. Um, and I would and I would do it, and I would have to figure out how to make this work. I would have to figure out how to make it play, and I would, and I would be the dork with a short close-up pad on the bar. <laughs> oh, you're you know you're serious about this? Well, yeah, you know. Um, so yeah, when I so when I do the bar now, it's it's uh, it's a combination of things. It's a combination of stuff that I've been, you know, the, the, the sort of stuff that that fits the standard mold, and then the stuff that I'm good at, and then if I have the room. Then yeah, you are going to see me do you know the ultimate card shark with a freaking bridge deal ending on the end of it on a bar top, yeah, um, because you know because because we can make it work. What's your, what's your character? How do you make it work? Uh, well, it's the, the the character. My character is is um, I wrote an essay about this for my first set of lecture notes. Just me in general is 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 a. There's something about me that's a bit of a near do well. I've never been that much of a troublemaker. I was never allowed to be that much of a troublemaker. You have, a, you have an old school Portuguese father who tends to shut down even the most innocuous attempts at <laughs> trying to go to a pool party. Who's going to be there? Are there going to be girls? Who's, are the parents going to be there? Where are you going? You have your mother law and all that kind of shit. You know, so it's like <laughs> I, had no, I had no time to go out and you know shoplift. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, you but, didn't miss much. Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, none of the good stuff when I was a kid, uh, but so, but I've always there's a, there's in real life there's always that sort of there's always this sort of near do well attitude, you know, near do well attitude behind me or, or you know the, the the troublemaker. I was always a fan of Groucho Marx. Mm-hmm. Groucho Groucho was the man. I used to I, I used to say if not for him I wouldn't wouldn't have any personality whatsoever, and. And, but when you go back and you watch the Marx Brothers, um, all of them, but Groucho in particular, there's they're getting away with murder. They're 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 literally getting away with. Well, I, I, I remember seeing I, the first time I ever saw it. it the, the so the penny dropped in my head is somebody did a um, trying to as a, as a collection of as an underground comics. It was a comic artist. Maybe it wasn't Spain Rodriguez. Who was, it was somebody else? Um, but they had done a panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or just a series of panels, and it was you know here's this here's this deco. It's all wordless, but it's this deco you know arts you know high society you know uh, you know high class function, and in comes a literal caricature of Groucho, and it proceeds to start stabbing and murdering and cutting off head and, and just sort of leaving in a bloodbath. But the whole attitude is hey, as long as you know you know it's all in good fun. Um, so. <laughs> So, but if you go back and watch the movies, you can see all of this, you know, all of the, you know, it's 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 all the people who need to be taken down a peg, and again, they're they're they're, they're getting away with a lot of interesting criminal activity. But then again, there's something about his character. There's something about the charm, the the charm and the wit and the and the ra- the rakishness that you you I mean, again you as a character you let him get away with it. Yeah. And then I I for a more timely example. Uh, I would always point out when uh, How I Met Your Mother was on the air, 
and Neil Patrick Harris as Barney. Now, mm-hmm. Neil Patrick Harris is Barney. As I love the, the internet loves to point out that you know these kids, some of these people are really terrible. It's like, well, in entertainment, you want to watch ordinary, straight line, you know, yeah. decent people. You know, there, there's no fun in that. That's yeah. Davy and Goliath. That's nothing. You know, but when you start when you start bringing in the character, you know, the characters with the interesting foibles, or that one character who always seems to shake everything up. Now you've got. You know, now drama. You've, now you've got drama. Now you've got intrigue. Now you've got all the conflict and all that. Yeah. So, so Barney Stinson on on uh, How I Met Your Mother. Uh, again, the 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 rakish ne'er do well, always looking for the angle, always looking for the yeah, you know, the the, the way into somebody's pants or, or that kind of thing. But he was the breakout character. He was the like you, you came along with that. Yeah, and um, and part of and a good chunk of that is NPH's uh, NPH's charm and his ability to to uh, to take that kind of thing and not make it horrifying and make and I you know um, and I've seen I've I've seen those examples in in you see those examples in real life you know like back in college and stuff you know you had a group of friends and there was someone who always seemed to be able to get away with saying the weirdest stuff yeah. you know to try to pick up girls or something and then the one guy every time he opened his mouth was like just Shut it down. Just, 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 don't. just stop because we're gonna get thrown out. <laughs> You're not, you know, it's like everybody wants to be funny. So so I Was that you? You're talking about you? I, well, I was somewhere in the middle. I was somewhere in the, the I, I, I you know in my forties now I get This I get, is a safe I, space, Tony. I'm still I'm still friends with I'm still friends with my college friends and they, they sort of delight now and Reminding me of occasional things that I remember I said, and I'm just like, "Good, look, just come on, man." Oh, it makes your skin crawl. <laughs> I know, I'm like, "Yep, I was 20 and I was an idiot and I was single and I was desperate." So I just I said something I thought was clever, you know, and then yeah. Just, <clears throat> but I'm married now, so I don't care about any of that. Uh, <laughs> and so, so that's that's kind of a starting point for the kind of character. Or at least for for me, the way to sell the the, the card sharking and the card cheating. Uh, in fact, my my uh, when I thought of the, my business cards I actually say card cheating for entertainment purposes only, mm-hmm. and I always introduce myself that way, and it's always with the raised eyebrow, and it's for entertainment purposes only. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So I'm already letting you. I'm already trying to convince you. Oh, you know, because the first question anybody asks if they see you with a deck of cards, oh, you banned from Vegas, that kind of thing, and yeah. that's the road I want to go down. So they're already asking if I'm a criminal, which is the weirdest thing you can ask a human in public. Um, <laughs> not the weirdest thing, but one of it's you one, know it's when you when you've just met somebody. That's yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Um, so so you know, sort of starting from there. And then getting into the getting into the I call it all I call it all sleight of hand and cheating. I don't call it I don't call it magic uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, particularly in a town like Boston, it's it's easier to relate to people when you're not you know trying to rub the Doug Henning on it. Um, and also, there's very little about me that sells whimsy. <laughs> like I figured that out a while. I was trying to bring it. Oh, let me. Oh, I love Darwin's cannibal cards routine. Let me try a cannibal cards routine. I'm trying to, you know, cards as action figures. I like yeah, to call yeah. it. You know, oh, and this is a cannibal. And this is a missionary. And they're looking at me like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> so I said, okay, never mind. But I can sell weird. There's another thing. So I can sit there making outrageous claims mm-hmm. and 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 getting the stream of bullshit responses. Yeah, bullshit, 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 bullshit. Yeah. And then you just very calmly sort of. Sort of explain. No, I, you know, it's, it's like I can't be insane if I'm right, you know. And then, yeah. You, and then you show them the insane answer. That's so, interesting. But those two things are like adjacent to each other. 
So it's neat that you like, yeah yeah there's those two. Yeah, it's 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 finding because you know, again, there's 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 the there's a there's a there's the serious there's a sort of there's a there's a stir. I mean, again, getting back to the Groucho, there's a sort of sternness that comes along with that thing. But then I'm 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 I've also clearly been a goofball all my life. So there's yeah. there's, there's that there's that level in being able to being able to sell that. So so yeah, that's 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 kind of how I approach the the magic in general, and also allows me. When I get down to business and I'm doing things like pitching out seconds and and um, as I like to say, you know, I specialize in the kind of moves that crooked gamblers use to steal money from innocent players like you and me. Not so much like me. You have an honest face, though. Uh, modified, amazing Jonathan. But um, but you know, they, they they take it seriously, and that was that was another thing I, I got. Um, because I never, I, I'm one of these, one of these guys who will do the gambling stuff, but I don't have any, I don't, I don't have any of that, you know, sort of standard, you know, backstory of a of a shady uncle or a shady grandfather who's, you know, or or living in the kind of neighborhood where, yeah, you know, you got to see card games all the time. And eight years old, I saw somebody hold out a card. No, <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I, I grew up in the burbs. There's there was, there was none of that in my life. This is something that I gravitated to on my own. Yeah. And Why? That's a very interesting question. Um, I mean, I started off when I started off. My interest in magic was 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 sort of the st- the standard one. My first interest in magic when I was very very young. Mm-hmm. And of course, at the time, the at the time it was it was uh, Doug Henning and David Copperfield specials. And then occasionally Harry Blackstone would show up on, on on various PBS shows, and I was just recalling this because they're doing this this um, uh, PBS is streaming every episode of Mister Rogers from from nineteen sixty nine to nineteen yeah, two thousand all of them. You posted about the, the music on there, right? I, I posted something about the, I posted something about the music, and then the, he also he had a he had his own guy. Um, there's a guy named Charles Apple, and I don't know if anybody in the magic community knows knows Charles Apple. He kind of looked like a bargain basement uh, Harry Blackstone. He had the glasses and the goatee, but then like the stand, like the kid playing dress up. Here's my top hat. Here's my cape, kind of thing. But I just we, we were watching this in the house, you know, my wife and I, for my own, for our own sake, and then you know because we got the kid, and I'm going, you know, I'm just flashing back. This is all remembrance of things past for me. And I get to see him do do a little set of magic in the kitchen. So it's standard, you know, sort of prop magic shop fair. But it was, you know, but it was it was competent and fine. I mean, it's you know, we've, we we you know, there was nothing wrong with it. But again, you know, when I was when I was five or six, that was a magician. You know, that was a magician. And the funny thing is, is that I'm pretty sure this weekend, uh, this particular weekend, we were missing Paul Gertner's appearance on the show because of the very one time uh, because Paul was in Pittsburgh. Um, he decided got on the show, and I think there was a there was a there was a whole other story. I think about I think Charles Apple was on that one as well, but he brought in Paul Gertner. Um, Paul told a story about being on, being on being on yeah, Mr. Rogers' yeah, episode yeah. of the podcast. Yeah, and 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 uh, Michael Keaton was actually a, was actually a production <laughs> a production assistant on the show back when Paul was on. Oh my god, <laughs> that's, that's amazing! And it's funny because I, I remember seeing that episode. I've never seen it since, and I've since. Uh, become uh, become a fan of Paul's work as, as because I have a brain, <laughs> and and it was the putting the two and two together because I don't remember as far as I'm concerned the first time I ever saw the steel cups was was World's Greatest Magic two yeah 
but I'm pretty sure, I, I, and I think part of it is the discrepancy between these sort of silver fox Paul Gertner that, that we, we all know and love now and and the long-haired hippie that showed up on <laughs> on, the, on the Fred Rogers show because yeah. I remember the hair I remember the, I wasn't used to seeing guys with you know with, with shoulder length hair before I had it um, and I remember the first thing he I don't remember anything else but I remember the first thing he did was a coin roll talking about oh and if I ask the coin to walk and the coin walks and that's you know but I, so I would see that I would see that kind of thing and then this is also this is late 70s early 80s so um, you're getting the whole story at this point. Uh, late '70s, early '80s, there was also this is also the the resurgence in in uh, busking mm-hmm. in street you know, street magic in the busking sense. And so I had an aunt I had an aunt who lived in Boston, so uh, we would, she would take us out to the Museum of Science and to shows and all that kind of thing. And there would be a lot of buskers on the on the common yeah. or at Faneuil Hall. So I would see guys there doing the sort of standard sleight of hand. So I knew about sleight of hand back then, but everything else was kind of tied into give me the Harry Blackstone magic kit with the plastic yeah. wand and the you know. And you were like, ten-ish at this time, or that was, it was yeah that would that would have been that would be like five six seven eight I want to say. Okay. Um, I think it was right around maybe ten that I kind of got away from it. Okay. Um, there was a, there was a, there was a bit of a I, I remember it was a, there was, it was a Copperfield's Escape from Alcatraz uh, Escape from Alcatraz special where there was a little bit of a disheartening moment for me where it wasn't it wasn't just it wasn't that I, I had believed in anything before but it was just talking about the escape the way they were selling the Escape from Alcatraz and then what it really was was a series of set pieces magical set pieces as he's running through with the camera on him in a one shot at one point the dogs walk up to him and you know he's got a he's got a silk handkerchief from somewhere or something and produces i don't know a plate of steak you know so he's outwitted the dog with with dogs with magic um you know great ratings but it was just there was something about the disconnect between the the very seriousness of of what they were selling, and then what what uh, what came out of it. Oh, that's interesting. So there, yeah, so there's there's so, there's some of that there. There's some yeah. of that there. Uh, and, and to get back to it, I mean, to go f- further back with Copperfield, I, I one of the most visceral moments I remember watching was it was it was like his second or third special, and it was one of these one of these what I now know as kind of standard stage illusions that's presented as an escape, kind of as an escape, but then. You know, but then he disappears from the box or something like that. But this was actually, I think he, they, they they played it they played it straight. Mm-hmm. So it's the spike of doom, and I remember Ricardo Montalban's there. You know, just with the rich Corinthian leather in the voice, and oh yeah, David will be in the box with the spike and all this. And so he's chained up in there, but it's very clearly a plexiglass kind of thing, this giant yeah. spike. And they and they ran that whole thing down, and the, and the spike just dropped, and they really and Ricardo Montalban's acting his ass off if he ever did. Um, and 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 it's oh we should we should get the uh, get the axes we should get them, break them out of there break them out of there, wham, dead silence, and then you see David's arm come out and he rolls out and he's like on the side like the spike had come down. I was rewatching it. I was rewatching. It. I found it on YouTube or something. I rewatched it, and it was it, it was it was it was at the same time exactly what I remember, and then of course a little less you know when you yeah, see it yeah. with grown up eyes, but. Um, but I just remember, like, you know, it took this, you know, that's taking it seriously, you know, yeah. as opposed to floating your way through through Alcatraz. So, so yeah, so I kind of got away from it you know, around 10 or something like that. Now, flash forward to my early 20s, 
where I <laughs> talk about Mr. Rogers and all this other stuff. My life is just TV. Uh, so, <laughs> so I was, I, you know, I had done a little bit of, you know, fooling around. I had uh, built tars, now you see it, now you don't. So I'd learned some. Actually, my favorite trick back when, what I thought sleight of hand back then was, was the, was the multiplying billiard balls. That was my jam. <laughs> like, I actually made some out of, like, tinfoil, like, like a fake shell and everything, oh, wow. so I could practice, and yeah, that's what I thought it was. And then there's like two card tricks in the in the book, and I learned those. But like, you know, whatever, who cared? Um, so in my early twenties uh, was when uh, the David Blaine Street Magic special hit, yeah. and really more importantly for me was was World's Greatest Two, because and, and you know I, I saw Paul do the saw Paul do the cups, which I admire very much, but more importantly was Rene Lavand, who. I'd never seen card magic like any anything like that, and he had that. He like he was never explicitly a gambler, but that was that was part and parcel of, yeah, of that it character. Yeah, mysterious gravitas. Right, exactly. Anybody, and he hung out with gamblers, and he hung out with you know Colombian drug lords and that kind of thing. But but he was always talking about his dedication to his art and everything like that. But then, but he's dealing he's dealing baccarat hands and you know and bridge hands and stuff like all a lot of, a lot of gambling stuff in Levant's, but. There was also just that that air he had, where he, you know that that old. I had a I had a computer science professor kind of like him, where I just the first time I thought of it, I was I was looking at this guy one day and I'm going, "You were Zorro in your youth, weren't you?" You know, like that kind of like that. It, it was a great, great. Was my professor. Then I remember seeing Levon. I'm like, "No, okay, no, you, you're the guy. Yeah, yeah. That's how you lost the arm." Um, so I remember seeing that, and that was okay. Now I have to pursue that kind of a thing. Um, so I started. I started digging around, and then the 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 quick answer to to where I got into the the gambling stuff. Well, part of it was uh, as I started looking for books. First place I went was like Borders and Barnes and Noble, and at the time they had the Dover Library available, like pretty much not all of it, but like when I could just walk into a Borders and get expert card technique or card manipulations. I think it was one of the first books, I, the card, card manipulations one through five. Yeah. And all those old books, you know, were banging the gong on the on the not necessarily the gambling material, but the gambling, the gambling slights, you know, the poker deals and the gambling slights and and that kind of a thing, particularly expert card technique. And it was way over my head because uh, I only knew the two damn card tricks, you know. Because like, you know, previously I was hanging out with prior to this, I was hanging out with some friends and playing rummy or something like that, actually playing rummy, and somebody said, oh, I want to see a card trick, this is a cool card trick, and they did a 21 card trick. And I'd never seen that before, but I was like, okay, that's, I used to do a little bit of magic. And then I said, I said, yeah, I know, I think I know two card tricks, and one, and I did them both, and one was Grace Speller, which I still do, and the other one was, uh, was a double lift reverse, actually, like with the, the daily reverse with the, with the lift. And you know, the card appears face up in the middle, and they're looking at it. everybody in the room is now looking at me like, "Where the hell did you learn that?" And then they stopped wanting to play rummy, so <laughs> just whatever. Um, but then I, when I, I had gone to Brown, and I had uh, taken some time off. I, 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 I so nonchalantly, oh Ivy. Well, <laughs> you know, Brown's the kind of Ivy you can be nonchalant about. That's it's, it's one of those, you know. 
you know, you talk to talk to Yaley's like Curtis or <laughs> or the Harvard kids, um, Feldman's but, at Stanford. Yeah, yeah, Fuck yeah, off. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my time my time at Brown was was was, was I think largely for the housing. Um, it was because <laughs> the first couple of years I, I did it was it was computer science and then um, and I was not good at that or not that I wasn't good at it but just the brain wasn't in the right yeah. place for it. Um, you're like the nerdiest, not looking nerd guy I've ever seen. So it took me this long to get to get that far away from the look. Because at the time I was, you know, I was, uh, you know, at the time I was, I was, uh, I was much thinner, long hair. Um, a lot of times running around, you know, t-shirts and jeans, like black trench coat. Like I look like that. Oh, Jesus. like I, I look like, <laughs> you know, I look like the, the you know, I look like the, the kid begging for tickets for the Monsters of Rock tour, you know. And at the same time, I'm listening to jazz piano. So I'm always like, there's just it's all over the place. Yeah. Just total discrepancy. Um, like my act. No. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, so, I went, so I, went, I went to Brown. I went to Brown. I I was there for a couple of semesters. Dropped out. Yeah. Um. Then when I decided to come back, and I at this point I'd gotten. Uh, Why'd you drop out? Just tanking classes. It was I was trying to pursue a computer science drugs. major. That the drugs. yeah, yeah it was no, drugs. No, just, drugs, the prostitution, <laughs> prostitution ring, of course. embezzlement. Uh, yeah. You know, I later just gave a whole file to Bernie Madoff and say, "Hey, you use this." Um, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I just, you know, just I, the math is tiring. No, I tried to pursue. I didn't. Brown's one of those schools that, that if you don't go in with some some kind of play, you can get lost really, really quickly. Yeah. And I did, and I tried to. I, I, I kind of picked computer science as a major out of a hat, mm-hmm. and quickly realized uh, as I was trying to complete my second semester of it that I was not the people that I knew who were doing it. Yeah. Were there because they wanted to be. It's kind of like now. You know, trying to trying to do, you know, trying to do magic for a living. The decision there was: if I'm going to attempt to be paid to do anything, I would rather learn the marketing and the business skills, so I can get paid to do it, or get paid more to do it. But the skills are something I'm doing anyway. This is the stuff. I made a joke this afternoon about Feldman. So he's the reason I have something to do on a Friday night. Actually, it's the thing I would be doing on a Friday night anyway. I'm just getting paid for it now. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the, you know. Um, so, so that's uh, you know there, there was some decision there, there, there was some there was some waking up and smelling the coffee to do, but in the interim that was in that dropout period interim that's when I saw World's Greatest Two and all that and, mm-hmm. and uh, started you know trying to hunt down these books, and I spent a year living in D.C. which is ironic because at the time I didn't know who Darwin was, uh, <laughs> but but I did go to Al Cohen's Magic Shop which was a lot of fun. Um, and his son Stan was the guy that taught me the Elves account. Like I was, I was just this punk kid hanging out. And, but even then, it was like hanging out with the magicians. They were they were kind of prickly. And who's this? You know, who's this scrawny twenty year old Zuff? That, you know. So I actually spent more time hanging out with jugglers back then. Um, <laughs> but then when I got back to Brown, I was still pursuing that and trying to figure out well how, you know, how am I going to wrap this up? Yeah. And I made two decisions. Number one, I decided to major in theater. Um, Kind of with a focus on acting, because you can't really just major in just performance. Like it's a general purpose major, and so I focused on. I did that, and then I went looking for. I went looking in the library for books on card magic, thinking I was going to get the same ten hits you get in every bookstore or every general purpose library. Yeah, and I got eight hundred and eighty hits on card tricks, and those all come from the H. Adrian Smith collection, because H. Adrian Smith 
went to Brown, left his, when he died, he left his collection to, um, to the Special Collections Library. So there's, there's a whole bunch of it other than just the books. And they left a stipend, so they keep adding things, keep adding things. But the fun of the Special Collections Library is that the only people who go there are like these doddering old, you know, visiting professors and, and stressed out grad students. Yeah. So here I was this young, excited guy coming in going, ah, can I get this one and this one and this one and this one and this one? And they're they very sweet people. They were, they were always, they were always uh, fun when I came in. Hey, here's the, because you know, I was just this kid. I had a mat and a mirror and, a, <laughs> and I couldn't take the books out. So it was, it was a non-circulating library. So I had mm-hmm. to take notes. I took better notes on mat stuff than I did <laughs> any other class. time <laughs> in my academic career because I had to, because I couldn't, yeah, because I didn't have the dough for photocopying. They had rule restrictions on photocopying and that kind of thing. So yeah. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm just stressed out. Get it all. And they close at five. So, you know, you're like you really compress your time. Yeah. So, th- so then it's kind of keeping on the same even keel, you know, going from like the gambling stuff and expert card technique and, and, and the stuff you f- hear about in the Hugard books. And then you get, you get, to, you get to Die Vernon. And uh, and uh, the Inner Secret trilogy and and the Ultimate uh, Secrets of Card Magic, and I got all the all the shuffle work in there, and I didn't understand a damn part of it. But uh, but again, they're sort of stressing that this is the, and I've since gotten away from the term. I hate, I hate the term the real work. As far as I'm concerned, it's just the work. Yeah. Uh, you know, some people are doing work on this, and some people are doing work on that, but it's just work. Um, but it was always that mystique of this is the real deal. This yeah. is the real deal. You know, this is if you if you can get this stuff down, that's that's the that's the expertise. And I've always been, you know, I was, you know, I've been the side of the the, the dexterous side of things appeal to me. You know, I mean, you know, I, I, I draw and yeah. and I play piano, so there's that you know expressing myself with my hands. So trying to learn these things, and then it was at Vernon, and then Darwin Ortiz at the card table, and the complete works of Derek Dingle. And particularly the, the the Darwin and the Dingle again still have that you know it's like that this is the real deal this is the real deal so I was like yeah. well there I go I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start following down that path trying to trying to although I did I did spend a good amount of time because you don't pick that stuff up right away I did spend a good amount of time uh, cranking out stuff from the Paul Harris books <laughs> just to have something to do yeah, yeah. So you're trying to trying to make this shuffle work you know no idea how it's supposed to look. Um, so yeah, so so technically that's how I got around to the to the gambling stuff, and then just more uh, it was it was more Darwin than anything because because at the time it was it was the most clear and concise, uh, concisely written stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was you know, he he's, he's he's always written his own stuff and he's very he's incredibly intelligent. And he's and the way he explains things, I love the way he explains things and and, and gives you the whys and wherefores. He's very pointed now. I don't. I, I'm at a point where I don't agree with all of them sometimes anymore. But you know, it's because I'm not him. Um, but it, the, one of the things he wrote about in Strong Magic that I remember people getting kind of up in arms about, where he was talking about uh, his approach to card magic and the kind of things that he tries to do, and the kind of things he shies away from because he doesn't doesn't care for you know again things like. You know things like uh, when you're using the cards to put on a puppet show, you know, or the cards as action figures, kind of thing. And a lot of that made sense to me. That was that was that was reading. I was like, okay, it's a lot of it made sense to me. And at a point now where I realize one of the reasons I don't like to call myself a magician, not just from the from the preconceptions you get from people, but it's actually one of the one of the few more honest things about it is that I would rather someone like a Lance Pierce. Or 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 Bob White or Jared or any of these guys the guys who can do 
what I call the general practitioners, or Curtis, for God's sakes. Yeah. Curtis Cam. Um, the general practitioners, the guys who, the guys who have more than one superpower. Yeah. <laughs> I have one superpower, <laughs> and it is cardboard based. Yeah. So I am a card guy. My, my wife will tell people she's he's a card magician. Like she'll 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 throw that in there. Um, and it's just that it's that very specific. I know what I I know. You know, I'm the guy. You know, it's kind of like you know on the musician side. You know, if I, if you ask me to join a band, expect me to play piano. Don't expect me to play piano. Ladani can play piano and guitar, and yeah. you know so I play piano. Yeah. <laughs> I play I play one kind of piano, so I'm not, I'm not even that versatile in that. So you know, don't ask me to play saxophone or anything like that. Just give me the deck of cards, and I'm gonna. But then everything I do kind of speaks to the deck of cards. And I'm not saying I'm the only guy out there only doing card magic. And I think I've actually uh, been trying to figure out the best way uh, for a while to say that. The, I, I think I think less people I think less people in magic should be doing card tricks or as much card magic as they do. Yeah. Because the car when the cards become the ubiquitous prop, the ubiquitous musician musician. Uh, <laughs> see, I did I did the same damn thing everybody does to me. The ubiqu- it happened to me today. Yeah, there you go, right on the <laughs> elevator. It was, it was it, with, with me. I just realized it was trying to say ubiquitous and then magician, and I just yeah, I, yeah. I just carried the U through. Uh, ubiquitous magician prop, the cards, yeah. becomes uh, then the, it becomes arbitrary, you know. And it, 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 there's there's no there's there's no concreteness to it. And I understand, that, you know, and and I, I get the idea of of uh, again, you, you, the, the the magic isn't supposed to be about the prop, and it is it's supposed to be about other things and 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 and, and bigger theatrical human connection and that kind of thing. But at the same time, it, it, it you know it, it kind of becomes all of a sameness, and I think I, I think it, it, it's better for a performer to know the very specific reason you're doing any given trick with any prop. Yeah, any prop. I've seen too many. I've seen my yeah too many uh, magician uh, um, gypsy thread performances that have nothing to do with the thread. You know, I mean, you know, Bob Reed, as great as he was, is just a string of, of old music hall jokes, and he's just snapping dental floss, snapping yeah. dental floss. And you see people set it to music, or you see people sing a song, or see, you know, that kind of thing. And they just, you know, and I'm like, what's with the thread? You know, yeah. <laughs> what's that about? Yeah. <laughs> you know? There's no context for it. It's it, like, yeah. I'm going to break this and then put it back together, and that's all you get. It's, that's it's, all you need. It's, it's a thing to do. You, 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 could, you could just as easily, you know, twirl a hula hoop on your foot or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that as long as you know why you're doing that, because I've seen some great acts that are that, that kind of, yeah. you know. But it's, it's like if you... If you it, the more specific you are with your intent, yes, um, when you're performing, then the more successful successful the performance is going to be. Absolutely. Um, and kind of getting back to that, kind of getting back, to, I screwed up college the first time. Like I, there was no intent. I just ended up kind of flopping all over the place. Um, and then when I went back, my intent was to freaking graduate. So, oh, hang on a second. I gotta. I, I gotta take this. This is the wife. This is getting <laughs> to oh Jesus. Okay, hang on a second. Yeah, they're gonna be coming up in a moment, so let me just uh Yeah, 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 in, in, yeah, intention and and when like I said about Brown, if you don't have some somewhat of a uh somewhat of a of a concrete intention, 
Um, you don't have to have the whole thing planned out. I yeah. mean, you have to have some some sense of direction, or else you're just gonna um, you're just gonna get lost, and you're just gonna start swimming. And I learned a, I took a bunch of classes and learned a bunch of stuff, and and you know it all just kind of went into the file because it had nothing to do with you know trying to get a concentration. I was taking hundred level uh, comp lit courses just because I like the the the. Uh, the way it read in the, the the course description in the catalog, and it was one of those things I get in the class, and they, like, I had no idea what a prerequisite was, <laughs> so I'm sitting there relearning all this stuff. And at one point, I asked my TA, I'm like, uh, I'm not sure I understand this. He's like, Well, we covered that in the previous class. I'm like, No, I just got here. I'm a freshman. <laughs> He's like, What the hell are you doing here? <laughs> I got to see in that class. It wasn't bad. Um, but yeah, when you're when you're performing, to get, bring it back to performance. Uh, again, with the cards, uh, the, 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 the card, the, the, again, the, the explanation for the cardboard-based superpower being the obvious one of, I, oh, I'd love to take you to Vegas, or yeah, I'd love to take you to Foxwoods, or whatever. Um, you, you start to have a little bit of context and focus for what, cheers, man. Cheers. Uh, a little context and focus for... For what you're trying to do, because it, it, it sets up uh, sets up some kind of parameter. Yeah, you know, I've had this argument for, with with Lance for years, and it's not really an argument anymore. But it's you know, it's just a now it's just a good natured ribbing, just a constant source of ball busting. <laughs> um, was when I started, I've been at the I've been at uh, I've been at the bar for uh, um, for three three, three and a half years now, and. When I started work at the bar, the big question is: Is Tony going to keep doing the same crap he's always been doing, or is he is he is he going to do the bunnies? Is he gonna, is he going to do the bunnies? Is he going to do the sponge balls? Is he going to get off the horse and just you know do the, do the stuff that people like? Yeah. Um, quote unquote. And has it ever bothered you that people are like, lay people don't give a shit about gambling stuff? I, it bugs me because well, it's it's it doesn't bug me as much as it used to because I don't have the same urge to try to defend it. Yeah. Um. I just let it. I just let it do what it do. I just let it. I just let it speak for itself. Yeah. And then someone comes along, and like I remember, I think Curtis posted something off of Steve Harvey of this young this young girl uh, memorizing a deck of cards. Yeah. And just going through, and you know, he's he's got this list of questions that I'm sure she gave him. Uh, about where are all the aces and how many cards or whatever and just rattling them off and it's it's funny it, the only I mean she's not performing she's demonstrating mm -hmm. but when you look at the set piece they're very clearly at a casino poker table yeah like and it's Steve Harvey and like a couple ten year olds you know? yeah. so that's already weird but it's a very clearly a casino a casino table Kids cheat the darndest. <laughs> Kids cheat the darndest. <laughs> Kids count the darndest card. Darndest cards. Um, it's actually, my, you know, my son is uh, my, my my son hit the milestone before I did. People always ask me if I've ever been kicked out of a casino. I said my son's been thrown off a blackjack floor. I mean, they said it was because he was a baby, but I think they knew. You know, <laughs> so we were they could see it in his eyes. Right. <laughs> exactly. we we're meeting my father-in-law at the blackjack table. They're like, "You can't have that kid here." I'm like, "They know. Quick, beat it." <laughs> Wait, you don't walk. Give me. Um, so there's just kick him. Yeah, just I just like roll him down. The, just, honey, go long. Uh, so so there's this so there's this casino table, and every time she's hitting a card right, yeah. Harvey's squawking about uh, about we gonna be rich. We're gonna go to Vegas. You know, like he's all of that. All of that. What we think is banal 
you know, because we hear it all the time, whether it's whether it's appropriate or not. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, but it, it, that's the success of something like that, where it becomes, you know, that's the context. She's not putting on that. Everybody yeah. else is putting it on it, and that's what's selling the whole, uh, the whole experience. So whenever I try to do, you know, whenever, I'm, whenever I'm doing the stuff I do, you dress up as a ten-year-old girl. I dress up as a ten-year-old Asian girl. Um, that's, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a, no. We're talking about Friday nights, not Saturday nights. That's oh, my a bad. different Honestly. thing. That's a much different thing. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> not on this <laughs> podcast. Um, I so, just so happen to be starting another one. <laughs> <laughs> Perverts say the darndest things. No, um, <laughs> nice callback. Hey, <laughs> theater. So, so when people say, "Oh, laymen don't care about gambling things," I understand. Like I've had this kind. Of, I had this really good conversation about Bob White, where he put a little bit of perspective on it for uh-huh. me. By, by. He pointed out what I what I in my mind dubbed the "I thou" problem. Where he sees a lot of the you know a lot of the gambling types you know the the, the Martin Nashes the Darwin Ortizes and whatnot, um, it's all about what I can do what I can do what I can do yeah and on the one level there's there's nothing really there's there's nothing particularly wrong with that because otherwise people wouldn't tune into the Olympics I mean it's not that people don't want to see someone somebody be a master of something. So, something somebody do something exceptional yeah um, or certainly not. See somebody do something superhuman, which is a distinction I can. Well, I'll get back to nerd. Uh, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> no, because I want to talk about all that stuff too. But yeah, yeah, yeah sure, sure, sure. But no, but I'm, I'm just again. I'm I, this is a this is a lifelong task of trying to keep the <laughs> try trying to keep the keel before you go off to the thing. Um, so, but it's the the um, what Bob was pointing out is is like if there was a way that you could. If there was a way to sell it more about about I'm basically make it more about the audience, not empowering the audience necessarily. Although there are ways that that can be done. Um, I used to do my friend Andrew Wimhurst has a routine. Um, it's a spectator cuts the aces, and that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, mm-hmm. you shuffle up the cards and you show them the shuffle, and you say, "Reach down, just cut off a third, and they reach down and hit an ace." Is that the Marlowe Miracle Ace? Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 a, it's the Mar, it's the Marlowe, but he's he just does has them do all the work, and you think yeah. to yourself, well, that just makes it seem easy. No, real it's still really difficult. Like it's yeah. that same feeling we get when we do the routine, mm-hmm. because it's the closest thing. You know, it's 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 you're doing what you're saying is on the tin. Yeah. Now, when you hand that to somebody else, they're not immediately flipping again. Like we were talking about before. Um, they're not immediately flipping to oh this must there must be a trick deck or something like that. Yeah, they're yeah. just like what the hell? I have friends. I haven't done it in, in decades. I've been trying to get back to it, um, but uh, I have friends who still remember uh, what I did it for them because I remember seeing it on the video and I was like okay there's there's going to be two reactions to this from the magic. There's either there's no way in hell I'm doing this or there is every way in hell I'm doing this and I was on the every way in hell side. Um, so that is just an example of kind of putting that power in somebody else's hand, or even just something like you know trying to bring somebody along for the ride. The um, uh, you know I'm going to make you my partner in a game. How about that? You know you and me, you and me together against you know Butch and Sundance. You know that yeah, kind yeah. of a thing. Um, or the conspiratorial little um, thing that the the the, the gambling expose or the quasi expose allows you to do, which is to be honest about the stuff that they're going to bug you about anyway, which were the moves and the techniques and yeah. and things like that. Although it's funny, I did a I did an event for the Museum of Science in in Boston where um, it was a casino theme night, but with little stations, you know, kind of 
offering casino-based knowledge because it's a science museum, so they're all about knowledge. They're mm-hmm. not about bullshit. And I was, the, I was the guy bringing a little bit of bullshit and trying to be <laughs> honest about the bullshit I was bringing, but at the same time talk about um, talk about real stuff. This is real knowledge. Yeah. And I talked a little bit about uh, what happens when cars. I just had a little station and people come over. I talked a little bit about, you know, like the Percy Diacona shuffle mathematics. I talked, I talked a little bit about real world blackjack knowledge. Which is always fun because just, just just a little bit I know the average person has no you you have to talk them into it yeah. you know it's yeah, the right. weirdest thing in the world so so it's it's, it's kind of easy to sound like an expert when you you know when, when people aren't people aren't listening to you in the first place um, so I was doing that but most of the night I was just doing sort of standard you know standard uh, like ultimate card shark type demos yeah I distinctly remember at one point. Uh, I, I go to demo the bottom deal. And I put the four aces on the bottom, and I drop the you know talk about oh if you've ever seen you've heard about this if you've seen old westerns, and I deal around and I turn the deck over and I turn my hand over and it's four aces and then somebody somebody smiled and shook their head and then said so you're gonna tell us how you did that and I said what part of dealing off the bottom of the deck was I unclear on you know like that's I just gave you the method. <laughs> But the part that the, the 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 interesting gulf that was there is is there's no and nobody there's no way to impart and nobody wants to hear the 10, 15 years of detail that it took yeah. to make that card look like it comes off the top, yeah. which is the whole damn point. Um, which is one of the, I don't always necessarily truck with with some of these. You, you read some of the gambling like there's the desire to do the gambling demo, but then you get these things like and it doesn't matter if they can see the move because you're openly demonstrating. You're openly demonstrating like. That's not really the point. This is the, yeah. That's not really the point. I could get anybody, I could pull any of my friends aside and teach them and teach them a working gambling expose as long as they took that approach to the moves. Yeah. Like this is how you deal the second card, this is how you do the bottom card, this is how you do a push through, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you, you could teach anybody to do that with the same information, but the point is to put that that little fear of God into everybody or that, or that, or that little, or kick up that little it's bit of doubt. greed. It's, it, it's, 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 it's the doubt and the greed that kicks in because yeah. particularly with, you know, oh, if I could, um, uh, Darwin has a version of, uh, has a, I think it's has said it's the, it's the, if I had your hands in my morals, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of uh, attitude yeah. towards it. And it's the idea you, yeah, it's the doubt. I mean, the whole, I mean, the whole, the whole thing kind of started with, um, J.H. Green, a genuine reformed gambler, who wasn't certainly wasn't the first person going around talking about the evils of gambling, but he was the first person who could go around, or the first prominent person who could go around talking about the evils of gambling, and then demonstrate to you why he knew because he would scare the piss out of you if you didn't like you know doing all of these moves. And even then, he was bringing a certain amount of bullshit in there because he made the claim that that uh, every deck of cards came at, marked from the manufacturer and if you were part of the secret fraternity of gamblers you you, you knew uh, you knew how to read the marks and he would have somebody bring him a deck he'd never seen before to receive to read the cards from the back using a shiner in the lectern which is real world technique yeah. <laughs> being applied to complete and utter horseshit yeah um, and I actually let off this little de- this little demonstration at the science night with um with that story, just as a little bit of a caveat to, to you know, I'm going to teach you everything you know, but you're not going to learn everything I know, you know, yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. But, um, but I, yeah, so people say, I don't, people say, I, you know, laymen don't care about gambling numbers. They care, but it's, it's also very easy for them not to care. Yeah. And again, it comes back to what Bob White was telling me is if they're, if they're just watching you show off. You know, it's, and, and a lot of demonstrations I've seen tend to go in the, 
you know, here's the thing you can do at a card table. I'm going to do the thing you can do at the card game. I just did the thing I did at the card game. And then you move on to the next thing, you know. And the other danger is that, uh, particularly when you're watching something like, you know, like like um, like uh, Steve Forty or Richard Turner, like the, the gambling protection tapes. Yeah. And and Darwin is Darwin Ortiz on card cheating. But the thing I've always said about about that one is that Darwin is the guy that makes the point to really, really differentiate this technique from that technique because in the hands of guys like Darwin or, or Steve or Richard or any of you know Derek Delgadio or you know Jason England, um, the, the, all the techniques look the same. Yeah. You shuffle, you deal, you win. They're designed to look the same. They're not designed to do anything else other than look like you're playing poker. And there's only so lo- like if you're not making if you're if you're not making a distinction, the work comes on the on the shuffle or the work comes on the deal, uh-huh. you know. And and um, you know like then then it's very easy for for the average person who <laughs> asks questions like you know who, who 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 you know what part of dealing off the bottom <laughs> was unclear. It's very easy for them to get lost. Yeah. So so there's an art to being able to to present it. And uh, but I I think it's 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 easy it's easy for it's absolutely easy for them to care but it's also easy for them to lose interest yeah if you're just somebody showing off how much spare time you have yeah <laughs> you know that kind of a thing um, so so yeah somehow we were because we I was talking about the stuff I, I do with the bar and just the card cheating is a leaping off point yeah now there are things that I will do that. It actually occurred to me a while back that I actually wasn't doing as much of the gambling stuff at the bar just because I was using the sort of that stock standard, like the more card tricky stuff, to try to get to the gambling stuff. Mm-hmm. But in a situation like that, I realized I quickly realized that not everybody has that has that um, is in it for the long haul. They want to yeah. see they want to see two or three things, and then and then they're fine. So. I kind of quickly put in the rubric. Either the first or the second thing I do has to directly speak to card cheating, and then I can do whatever the hell I want. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever the third thing they might want to see. You know, it has to be one of those first two things, or else, or else, why the hell does it say card cheating on my business cards? It's just, it's just a, it's just an avoidance tactic at that point. You know, yeah, at that yeah. point, I'm a magician. Um, so, so things like I have this, I have a, I have a handling of or a routine for Doctor Daly's last trick. That's. Um, it's a, a genuine routine because it's a series of, you know, the first part, you know, the aces change places. The second phase is kind of a is, is a sucker phase that I, I think the buck stops on Bill Malone on that one because I, I saw somebody else, I, I saw another friend of ours do it and I asked him and he said, well, Bill showed it to me, but I can't, I can't remember if he, I, it like, I, I felt like it was unclear as to whether or not it was actually Bill's or Bill didn't know where he'd seen it or something like that, but... So I'll put the buck on Bill Malone, um, but it's a but it's a sucker phase. It's essentially it's the same as the first, but now you're doing the open sucker move, and then and then the third phase is this is this uh, it's this everywhere and nowhere kind of flurry where they all become the ace of spades and another of the ace of spades and the ace of spades is gone, and um, and then a little a little off balance transposition because I've got three cards in my hand I reach in my pocket and I pull out the same three cards and the aces you know that kind of a thing. So it's 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 the closest it's a it's designed to be a, a coin flurry with cards. Is really what it is, you know. Yeah. Just that kind of, just that kind of, uh, watch this, catch me if you can, eye candy, and it's the catch me if you can aspect of it. 
that is now speaking to is, is the part that relates to the whole card cheating thing. It's that okay, we're you know sort of acknowledges the game that again most most uh, audiences uh, sort of expect to play. Yeah. With with the sleight of hand guy. Oh, I'm going to catch him. Oh, I'm going to catch him. And then when they don't catch you, they they get all ornery with you. Um, but at the same time, you have to make it fun. You can't just you know just there to, to piss people off with it. You know, it's, yeah. the, it's the same reason why why three card money routines are or or the shell game. Um, just watch Glenn Morphew do do a beautiful his his shell game is ridiculous. <laughs> and it's and it's beautifully structured in that you just you know you're not following it, but you're but 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 you don't walk away. You don't give up on it. You know. Yeah. Um, and it's you know so there's, so there, so there's an element there in terms of the you know, relating to the card cheating, and um, and then some of it has to do with 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 things like you know so how do you learn these things? How often do you practice? Whoever taught you these kind of things? Um, because you know card cheating is a lot like magic in the sense that you kind of have to know before you you know you know just pick this up. You know, anywhere, <laughs> you know, and get good at it. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, basically, and then sometimes it's, it, Darwin made the point in Strong Magic where as long as you, like, if, if there's a thing there that you have to acknowledge, you can either step away from it or you can step towards it, but you can't ignore it. Yeah. There's a whole thing. So, so that sometimes I step away from it, sometimes I step directly toward it. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> when I do card warp, um, I kind of make that about how much time I spend with the deck. As I spend a lot of time with the deck of cards in my hand, pondering the possibilities. And I discovered something that has nothing to do with magic, or nothing, nothing to do with sleight of hand, nothing to do with gambling. It's just weird as hell. Yeah. So I'm like, I mean, now again, it's still there, but I say, you know, but I, but obviously, card warp. What the hell? What the hell does card warp have to do with you know? Yeah. With blackjack or anything on this planet. Um, but again, once you've sort of once you've sort of baited that hook, then you can get into it, and then you just, you know, when that card turns over, they just they, people are losing. <laughs> now they're like, okay, I, all that other stuff you were showing, what the hell is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. just you know, just kind of dodging around. So it's um, so yeah, I think I think if if nothing else, the the the, the sort of card cheating aspect of it, the 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 um, the acknowledgement of of yeah yeah, I'm deceptive for a living. I'm a con man for a living. Um, I, 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 you know, it it seems it seems to fit the bill for me because I can't at this point I can't see myself uh, trying to embrace anything else. I, I mean, I've been working on that for so long. Yeah, and I've kind of you know I you know grown into this you know I've literally grown into this, <laughs> this, this outfit and this look and the and the you know the bearish you know the beard and everything. Yeah. I remember a friend of mine in Boston tried to uh, you know uh, tried to help me out, uh, shot me a line and said. So, oh, have you ever done a post prom before? I said, well, I've never done a post prom before, but I'd love to do a post prom. That was I, I was in the middle of typing when he said, um, "Yeah, the the organizer looking for kind of like a street magic vibe," and I had to I had to I, I responded back. I said, "You know, I'm gonna have to show you." And he's he's a very he, he works he works his ass off and he makes a lot of money, but he's also very very versatile. Yeah, like he 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 will do all kinds of different gigs and will. And, He's a chameleon and, kind of. Yeah, a chameleon kind of. Yeah, yeah. I think in that general purpose, you know, general practitioner kind of thing, but also in the if you want him to do a corporate thing, he can do a corporate thing. If you want him to do street magic or busking or or children's library show, he can do all of that. Yeah. And he does, and he does a bang up job with it. But for better or for worse, I had to tell him, like, look, look, if they want a street magic vibe, if I try to walk in there doing a street magic vibe, like if I put on like a 
like a bowling shirt with flames on it or something, you know, like, you know, in the trilby, I am going to look like a bad midlife crisis out of the club. I am going to look like Guy Fieri's brother-in-law. Yep. And it's going to be worse because I'm around high school kids. (laughs) That's going to be a disaster. Yeah. Whereas if you, if you want me to walk in in the three piece with the vest and the watch fob, you know, doing this and, you know, I can, you know, I'll, you know, the magic will speak for itself. Yeah. But, you know, you can, this is, that's, you know, I'm not going to. You're not the character. There, there are certain outfits I don't fit in anymore, both metaphorically and physically. Yeah. So, <laughs> I've had people at the bar ask, aren't you hot? Why don't you take off that vest? I'm like, look, some of us don't. It's like, well, why are you dressed in the vest of the jacket, even in the summer? And I'm like, some of us don't look as good in a tight T-shirt as David Blade does. And, you know, <laughs> I certainly, I, I, I missed that window. So, um so yeah, I think it's, if nothing else, it's given me the sort of you know, sort of focus for what it is I'm trying to do. Yeah. And on some level, it comes down to again, like I would love to do. You know, I'd, I'd love to find a way to do the bunnies. I'd love to find a way to do the sponge balls or something even similar. You know, something similar to that. There, I, there's no way in hell I can I can stop or start whatever I'm doing and bring out the clown noses and say oh, we're going to do this now. Yeah. Um, you a question, or you're gonna no, lead just... on to something? No, it's 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 one of those things. Like I can't, and, and I found ways to do certain other things. I found ways to, uh, like Curtis had a great idea for the. I was using this as a as a gag in the bar for a while. Um, unfortunately, be, with the presence of regulars and the requirement of an element of surprise, you have only so long where something a gag like that will work. But for the time I was doing it, it was great. And it was um, it was uh, it was with the bounce no bounce balls, where I would I would make sure somebody shuffled the deck and this is Curtis's idea shuffle the deck and then you bring out the rubber ball, and you say it's kind of like a game of jacks. I'm gonna, you're going to bounce the ball, and the way I said it was before this ball can bounce twice, I'm going to find all four aces out of that deck, and you and they'd say no, yeah, and you make all these you know, and I put money on it, and I throw down a twenty or fifty or whatever it was. Um, and I, you know, I'd say no, 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 no. Here, I'm just going to tuck this over here. If I can't do this, then that's going to be yours. And if you know, so now it's so now we're in gambling. We're in bar bet territory. We're in that all that kind of thing. And of course, I make this big deal. Hold it there. Let me get in position and blah blah blah. And they let in the ball goes thud. And I just pick up the deck and just start. <laughs> just you know, again, there's no magic. I mean, there's no magic to it other than the, other than the ball. But it's exactly yeah. the kind of. Um, Again, it's a bar bet. It's a sucker bet at that point. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was kind of fun to like. I just happened to. I would happen to be out of the shop. So you're like, oh, selling a set of bounce no bounce balls for like six bucks, eight bucks, or whatever it was. And I was like, yeah, I think I can do something just for fun. Let me just try something out. You know? Yeah, yeah. Let's try this. I did end up getting around to doing one thing that that Lance used to uh, was browbeating me about that I found a way to do was was the three and a half of clubs, and much in the same way, and because. I'd gotten the regulars to a point where they not that not that they could not that they assumed I could do anything. I mean, they they were always interested in seeing what I could do, but there was always that that yeah, I've never you know they always ask me, have you ever screwed up a trick? And I'm like, well, not that you'll ever notice, but that's <laughs> it, I have. But um, so again, you you put them in the sort of ultimate you know, got to pull the fat out of the fire situation. And there was a period of time I was throwing, I was throwing a $50 bill on that too. This is my prediction. And, you know, a, and then you turn that card over and it's so stupid with the, <laughs> with the three and a half. And you get that, you, you get that blow up because that's an, that's an ending that no one ever sees coming. Yeah. And if they do, they still don't believe it. They're like, is, is that going to be a three and a half? <laughs> so of course it will. 
Um, so it's it's again, it gives you that focus, but then it then it keeps me from doing certain things. It keeps sure. me from doing, um, you know, tricks that 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 um, you know tricks that I'm, I'm sure. That, and they're they're tri- I've always it's always interesting to find guys that. Um, you know, come up to me very good naturedly, or trying to suggest things. You know, it's oh, I think you, I think you'd be able to do this at the bar. That would be really cool if you did this or you did that. Um, and sometimes, sometimes I take the advice, and sometimes I, you know, I kind of nod and smile. And I'm like, yeah, I don't see, I don't see how that, I don't see how that would fit. Yeah. Um, but again, it's a, it's it's a, this is all coming from a very a different. Um, again, my friend who's working a lot again has the flexibility. You know, I'm, I'm coming to the business side of it late in the game but I'm just trying I've just been trying to focus on on um, doing the best card magic that I can you know in a particular style or because of a particular style that kind of a thing yeah so um, and it's the same thing with with uh, with you know like with piano I always kind of stuck with you know I, I you know with the uh, you know with the drawing it's pen and ink illustration and pen and ink I do a little watercolor you know, but it's, you know, it's 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 uh, or the, with the with the piano, you know, trying to trying to be good at, uh, you know, trying to be a jazz player, you know, just yeah. kind of playing, not necessarily play. Was, hmm? was that something else that you heard as a kid, as a as a young person? Oh yeah, like, well, yeah. well, but I mean, it it sounds like a lot of the things that you're doing now are just extensions of what you were into as a kid. Yeah, a lot of me has it. Well, a lot of me has changed quite a bit, and a lot of me really hasn't. Uh, it's just it's. You know the stuff that stuck with me stuck with me, and um, and ideally led me to other things. But but um, um, I was also pointing out recently that I think a lot of that stuff, particularly at that time, um, because as a kid watching like you know things like Sesame Street or or, or uh, there's a short period of time Electric Company and then Mister Rogers, and then in the evenings was the, that was when the Muppet Show was running. So like those six years, and you would watch when you go I go back and look now you realize that all of it was I mean the Muppet Show had a short run but Sesame Street was only like 10 years old at the time and to see what they were doing then you know what the show kind of morphed into over 10 years and then what it's become now like this to see these shows kind of grow and develop and they were actually growing and developing at the time that I was growing and developing so it was you weren't getting the same you know, like the Blues Clues formula every day. There was there was always something more interesting and something. So I think that's how it stuck with me more. But yeah, um, I mean, going back to, I mean, my dad was never, my mother, you know, as far as music goes, my dad was, you know, my parents were a little bit of jazz fans. My dad was more classical. My mother was a little more pop oriented. Um, but then when you point to things like, uh, I mean, you know, Point to things like back to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. He had one of the best jazz pianists on the on, in the country, playing live music for that show five days a week. You know, and, they, and, and Johnny Costa took the job because he didn't want to be a touring musician. So he, you know, like steady paycheck, gets to do what he does. And if you go back and and listen, he's playing monster piano, and it's just and it's just a constant background, you know, sound there, and. Um, and there was always, yeah, there was always a little bit of appeal there for, you know, guys like, you know, start out like the, the, the sort of colorfulness of, of some like Fats Waller and the stride pianists where you mm-hmm. get this, this very bouncy, you know, animated style. Yeah. And, and Waller was as much of an entertainer and a showman as he was a, a pianist. He was a hell of a pianist. He was an amazing pianist. But that, like, yeah, Amos Behaven came out right around that time, the, the review, and my parents bought the album. So I was listening to those songs and the humor in there. 
and so yeah so as far as the music goes um you know I had a little bit of an ear for it and then we were taking piano lessons and i remember um yeah this will sound like college i remember my brother was better at doing the exercise you know doing the constant sort of drill exercises than i was i was just I was off doing whatever else. And my, our piano teacher was a very, very dear friend who passed away a few years ago. Um, but he was a very, he took a very familial interest in us. Um, basically said, well, keep Peter on that track. And, and, and Tony, I'm going to teach you how to read a lead sheet <laughs> and how to voice chords. And I'm just going to keep handing you songs. And here's the run of my record collection. And I started digging through there. And at some point I heard Bill Evans. And that was kind of the stepping off point oh, there. yeah. Yeah, it was Bill Evans and the later. I mean, he was he was a big Oscar Peterson fan, which I thought was which was fun. I mean, it was great, but at the same time, like you know, a twelve year old, thirteen year old kid. Uh, I don't think I started earlier than that on the jazz, but like at that age, I just you, you don't have the ear for that much, you know that that much music that that, that density of you know of, of music. Whereas Bill Evans was a little more spacious and a little mm-hmm. more a little more um, you know the colors were. Um, they keep saying impressionistic, so you get that sound. So it was it was easier yeah. for me to like once you get a moment to hear it. And it was, okay, there it is. But like Oscar was just just. Do uh, you do you is it, when you hear something is that a color to you? Um yeah, on some level it's, it's not. Like it, the... it, I'm not. It's not a. It's not a fully kinesthetic thing. Synesthetic. Um, uh, synesthetic. Oh, right. Yeah. Synesthetic. Sorry. Um, it's not a fully synesthetic. Thing. But it's more like an emotional thing, right? But it's, it's an emotional thing. Yeah. No, yeah. And, okay. and, and different. And different. I. Um, uh, there's another jazz pianist, the late Marion McPartland, used to run a show on, on NPR, and what? she she had a she had a uh, I think she had a, a either a talk or a, or an album that she titled "The Key of D is Daffodil Yellow." And there's this, there's a certain and I and I get it. And there's a certain truth to it. Certain keys are brighter than others. Certain keys are darker. Even everybody uses the same terminology. Whether it's you know I see it as a vivid purple or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but there are there are certain keys that I think are lighter and darker, and, and certain keys that I um, sort of a warm middle ground in in uh, in uh, B flat F that kind yeah. of thing. Right. I, I kind of like to sit when I'm <laughs> when I'm. Uh, when I'm playing or composing or something like yeah. that. And, um, Are you familiar with the theme for this podcast? Uh, what it sounds like? Not off the top of my head. I would be curious to know what color you thought it was. Um, okay. Uh, if you want to, if you want to play, you want, I'll, yeah, I'll play it for me. I'll, I'll, yeah. uh, here, I'll just play it on my phone. This would be, I'm I'm interested because that's how I. When the guy was writing it, I was like, this is what color I want it to be. So, hmm. uh, kind of put that in more of a red orange. Really? Um, yeah. What were you What were you thinking? I I'm thinking that color blue. Oh, that actual color that blue. That blue. Yeah. yeah, I'm like. See, that's... see for me, see for me, the, the, I mean, for me, the, the blue is a much. Uh, E flat is blue. Yeah, for me. sure. It's very much, and not just not just because of the blues. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's just like that. You start getting into like, yeah. It's like it, it's it's weird. If I had to put a word to it, it'd be like you know, E flat for me is E flat E minor, E flat minor. Uh, actually, E minor as well is uh, yeah somewhere somewhere around E flat and E. It's like a light blue and a and a, and a deeper blue, and then moving down into. Uh, do you happen to know what key that's in? Or no, oh, I don't. Okay. 
That's interesting. I guess I've never thought because I, I don't even have that much. I mean, I'm, 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 I, I know I, I don't have ears that good, so I'm not going to tell you what key that's in. Yeah, no. But I'm just we're just having this conversation. So um, I think because it sounds like you're thinking maybe about like the color um, spectrum and mm. how that aligns against music. Maybe a, I think a little I, bit. I think I might be thinking more color theory and like emotional, like you paint a room blue or you paint a room red or you know. Like right, you know, right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, maybe. I think I think yeah, I think color theory as far as as far as the psychology goes, I think that's a whole other different. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Like one of my yeah, one of one of my one of my favorite tunes is uh, uh, I mean one of the great jazz tunes of all time, uh, uh, Blue and Green. Uh-huh. And again, it's, it's right there in the title, blue and green. But when you hear it, I and mean, again, you're talking about things like, oh, you would paint the, paint the room blue or paint the room green, like a hospital room for the soothingness. Yeah. And there's a soothingness to blue and green, but it's it's um, there's also very much a melancholy there. It's uh-huh. that sort of, you know, again, it's that depth. It's that you know, little bit of rain on the window kind of thing. Sure. And um, so it's always, it's always kind of nice to have these, it's interesting to have these conversations with people. And then... I always like making analogies. I mean, the different things have always kind of come together and helped. Because, uh, like, when I was playing out as a as a as a jazz pianist with with some guys in Providence, as a, you you sort of learn the sort of basic art to to um, to uh, putting a set together. Yeah, you know, you start with something and grab somebody's attention, and then maybe you go into Latin, and then when does the ballad come, and that mm-hmm. kind of a thing, and and then when you get into stuff like my bass player uh, friend. Tom Casali, he was the guy. Who, he, he was the guy that always called me for the gigs, and we used to play great stuff together. But he's also a monster composer, and so he'd be bringing in stuff that was, you know, kind of not quite categori- easily categorizable in the same. Oh, that's a ballad. That's an up tempo. That's a bebop. That's a thing. You know. So, yeah. So, but then you know, and you and you would end up kind of programming. Like we'd never read out the set list. We'd always kind of, yeah. Again, it's 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 feel where we were going and feel what the room was doing and then you and then you go from there yeah what's the moment yeah exactly exactly and it's the same thing i do with uh, the same thing i do when i'm performing at the bar um i've i've never i mean i've put together i've put together shows and stuff and, I, and i've put together things that go together mm-hmm. but but again there's the part of my brain that likes to just kind of say okay well here's gonna this is gonna be the opener here and this is and then we're gonna see where we go from here and if you want to see thing number three then great and if you don't then you know then, then I rethink it the next time or yeah. something like that or if that's the thing I really wanted to do then that's the thing I start off with <laughs> um, but yeah it's yeah, a lot of this stuff a lot of this stuff kind of came out of again my my just just the stuff I was interested in as a, as a kid and uh, I just kind of kept a lifelong interest in. Like I just, I never let it go. That yeah. was the thing. Um, again, like huge fan of the Jim Henson Company. Like even even in my forties. Um, and uh, it's just you know just not just not just the the fun and the entertainment of it, but but again admiring the craft and the work that they did and the and and Jim's visions for different. Uh, different projects and, and so like I never understood why Dark Crystal and Labyrinth tanked the way they did oh and my they, god I'm getting such weird deja vu right now <laughs> seriously okay wow <laughs> anyway just go ahead sorry no I just I, I, I never understood why they tanked the way they did because I thought they were glorious yeah but and then later on he did the storytelling like, like and I, I was like I, uh, and it was 
it was that weird little pigeonhole of, you know, everybody wanted Sesame Street and the Muppet Show and that kind of a thing. And, um, and even then, that stuff was lightning in the bottle because the, the, uh, the people he had and the stuff that they've tried to reboot with. I mean, the movies are fine enough, but the show... See, when you, once you get past the, 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 the heart and soul of the performers who made that stuff mm-hmm. and the writers who could write to the performers... Now you're just now now you're just trying to find somebody who can fit the suit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can put the chicken costume on and get out there and uh, and, uh, and and do the dance. And it's it, that's not what made it great. It's never what made it what made it great. So it's it's like looking at old Looney Tunes cartoons and how different how different it, it was. One thing for the different directors back then to have different takes on Bugs Bunny or, or Daffy Duck or whatever, but then to see the, to see the modern sort of a, uh, you know Hollywood machine committee versions of yeah. of, of Looney Tunes the back in action. Tunes, yeah, the reboot yeah. Looney Tunes, and watching and you know and watching a writers' room try to put that. Could you team. imagine them trying to reboot Tom and Jerry? Oh well, Tom and Jerry is another one that's 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 been. Uh, they, I mean, you know, started off back in the day, and weirdly enough, they were Hanna Barbera back then. Hanna Barbera were working for for MGM, and those are sort of the classics that everybody remembers. Um, like the ultraviolet stuff that became itchy and scratchy later on, like, yeah. it, and that was funny. As the older my brother and I got, we realized how how vicious that's dark. Stuff. It was it's dark really and vicious. Dark. Oh yeah, yeah <laughs> you know? the episode where Tom gets broken up with by his girlfriend and yep. he goes to commit suicide on the train tracks and Jerry <laughs> just like, lies down with him because yeah. he lost his girl and all that other kind of stuff. Jeez, yeah, it's very 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 dark. Yeah, but then so there was that, and then. Those kind of kept through, and even then there was a t- like the, they moved away from that. Yeah, it was still Hanna Barbera, but they moved away from that um, to some of the stuff in the fifties, and then and then the Chuck Jones unit came in to try to reboot the series, and those are interesting. But those are like those are you can't tell whether they're watered down Tom and Jerry or watered down Coyote and Roadrunner. Mm-hmm. So they're they're fine enough cartoons, but they're not they're, they're neither fish nor fowl, and then. And then just like every version after that, the um, the, the the infamous uh, Gene Deitch ones, which are recognized as <laughs> some of the most, some of the worst cartoons ever made, you know that kind of thing. And then when I was a kid, they like Hanna Barbera, the actual Hanna Barbera company, yeah. Um, you know now who are now cranking out um, who are now cranking out uh, Saturday morning cartoons like a machine, like they they re they rebooted that, and those were terrible. Those were even those were worse than the Deitch. You know, it's like you can't. Go, you know, yeah. You can't. It either it either grows, you know, either kind of swells up on the vine and dies, or you know, grows and matures and and that kind of thing. And it's very, you know, it's it's that's the interesting thing when you pay attention to this kind of stuff, as opposed to when you're just sort of sitting in the audience and there's a thing on the screen, and you go oh, okay, and then you get up and you go home. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Yeah, a bit of a pop culture chunky, a bit of a, bit of, bit of again, a, a, a theatrical and entertainment junkie. Because yeah. again, um, as a kid, it was, say I was a kid and I was into the Marx Brothers. I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up in the '30s. You know, I, I grew up in the mid to late '70s. But in the mid to late '70s, there was, or in the '70s, there was this kind of uh, cultural kind of return to, you know, like the, the the those old those old comedies and those old horror movies. Had been fashionable, kind of ran their course and gotten out of fashion and out of date. Yeah, 
And then you had the nostalgia upswing yeah. of remember how good this stuff was. <laughs> you know, I remember in the early days on, on Sesame Street, the, the, the woman who played Maria, she used to do a Chaplin impression. Like you put a Charlie Chaplin impression on a kid's show in the middle of the 70s. Like, why would you do, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Weirdly enough, because it was hip. You know, like, uh-huh. it was the hip thing. Well, that's what's um, happening now. Is the seventies and eighties are now? Are now? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's the that's the sign I'm getting old because all all the crap that I grew up with is now. You know, hey, remember that stuff? <laughs> and people try to do it over again. Um, but yeah, no, just all of all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, just has always lived in my head in in, in one way or another. Um, and it's, it was just you know, it was just recently that I just kind of decided, you know. Again, the, the magic was the one that I kept coming back to incessantly, particularly with the, you know, with the cards and the and, yeah. and the gambling stuff. So that's 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 the pursuit now. And when I'm not pursuing that, I'm pursuing my bow-legged midget of a kid around the house. So <laughs> <laughs> what, were you like? Uh, were you kind of a loner as a kid? Sort of. Um, it was hard for me to be a loner because I grew. We talk about the neighborhood I grew up in. It was it was a it was a very it was a very close knit neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I just I just had a chance to revisit this because we lost one of our one of our dear. It was a very close Wallach family, and we lost one of the neighbors. Um, she she lost the battle with uh, leukemia, and you know her kids are grown and they're older than me. I think her youngest was a year older than I was, and um, and then you had a house across the street that had three kids that were in the same age range and another. So we grew up in that. We were remembering it's like we grew. We grew up in that kind of neighborhood where you could just holler over your shoulder, "Mom, I'm going out to play." Yep. You'd go out in the yard, and then there were there was always like a little cul-de-sac, you know, like the little rascals, or I'm going to get later on, like Ed, Ed, and Eddie, that whole cul-de-sac. Yeah. Of like, there's all the weird kids. Like, there's a bunch of people in the neighborhood, and they all have the different personalities, but they're all hanging out, and they and, and nobody ever thinks, "Well, you know what? You go over there. I'm going to stay over." <laughs> you know? yeah. Sometimes we got sick of each other, but we were all doing the same. All yeah. doing the same stuff. Now I was, I was kind of a, there was nobody in the neighborhood who was exactly my age, mm-hmm. so I was piling around with some of the older guys. Um, and again, being a being a kid who's who's into sort of not weird, you know, sort of weird kid stuff for a kid, <laughs> the Marx Brothers. And yeah. the, you know, I was like, um, so I was I, I was the weird guy. I wouldn't say I was a loner, but I was. Did I you was, have siblings? Weird kid. I got one brother. He's he's uh, two and a half years younger than I am. Okay. So who who on some level carried forward a lot of the same because we realized as we got older there were conversations we could have with each other that that we couldn't have. We actually didn't get along very well growing up, but there was a baseline bond of, of family, and I remember. I think one of the early turning points, we didn't want anything to do with each other, like yeah. in the house. And it was nice because he had, he had, there were a couple guys in the neighborhood his age that he'd go out and pal with, and I would go and just kind of read on my own or pal with some of the older boys if they were doing things. But, um, but we were, we were, we were cats and dogs until we went to, we went to a summer music camp together. Uh, I was in junior, I was in junior high, I was sophomore high, yeah, it was just like junior high, ninth, ninth grade. Um, junior high in my in my in my hometown, uh, and uh, we ended up they ended up putting us together as roommates, and it was kind of funny because we found out that we were both roommates, and immediately the person signing us in is now like like they were had this oh my god we put like not that they knew us yeah but it was oh we put two brothers together and they were what the hell's the point of that oh my goodness blah, blah, blah. so she started running around looking for someone who was willing to 
willing to switch a room. And my brother and I just kind of looked at each other and went, do you care? Said, no. And I said, okay. And they brought back this this other kid who was like, oh, he's willing to change. like, no, we're fine. We're, we're, we're fine. Like, it'll be like, we've done this at home. We will live in the same place and then we will go off and do whatever else we want to do. Um, but it was also that, it was also that, we're, that sort of expression of, um, it wasn't getting past a hatred, but it was that it was that realizing there was a comfort level there. Yeah. And then when I then when I graduated high school and went off to college, that was when my brother realized that there were conversations he could have with me that he couldn't have with anybody else, not from a, you know, not like in a weird Judy Bloom kind of way, but in a in a just in a we grew up with the same stuff, we make the same references. Yeah. Like all of the stuff that I've been talking about. He like we could sit here and just do lines back and forth and remember you know remember scenes and stuff like that. So that's when the relationship started warming up, and now he's, uh, which is kind of a pity because because we we spent a very we spent a short period of time together together at Brown, ended up graduating the same time, and then he's been living in in uh, in Tokyo for for seventeen years. Oh, wow. So I don't see him I don't see him nearly as much as I would love to, um, and particularly. Particularly, you know, as we mature and family things and just wanting, I mean, he's, he's always been on a much more even keel than I am. I mean, he works in finance. He's got his, I mean, he's still, he plays music and he draws and he's never done any anything particularly theatrical. But, uh, so he has that, that artsy creative side to him. Yeah. But he's always been on a much more, much more even keel than I was. I was just, I was just trying to absorb everything, you know, <laughs> and just in this church, churn it out, you know. Um, so that was the, so that's that's my brother, um, yeah. And my parents are, are uh, my parents are very very intelligent people. Uh, my dad, but my dad is is very much this in an older daughtering form. <laughs> it's even even more, but like he makes the, the way he's talking, the way he's always spoken, and this particularly the way he speaks now makes me seem coherent. But he's <laughs> but it's but I, but it's it's a lot of that is just emulation because my father was a guy. Very intelligent and knew a lot about a lot of different things, and was always kind of weirdly there to um, to kind of point in the right direction. It wasn't like a hands-on kind of thing, but it was a, oh, if you like that, you might like this. Yeah, you know, he caught me one time, or not caught me, but um, uh, saw one time. It was it happens to everybody. Well, that's a whole other thing, but um, but there was a they were doing reruns of uh, one of the syndication stations was doing reruns of Laughing, and I was you know getting into Laughing. And my dad at the time, and this was a few years off before I actually did, he goes, if you like that, you might be interested in Monty Python. And then just walked out of the room, you know? Like, it was just kind of, a, you know, because it, it was around that, it was just, Python had just kind of gotten... Um, uh, so he was hip to it. He was, he was, he was hip to a lot of, lot of things. Um, so he was uh, a pop culture guy at the time. On, on some level, not nearly as, as rabid as, as, as I am. He's, he's always had a little more... Uh, Little more academic refinement to him. I was just, you know, I was more of a, but he had, he had, he'd seen some Monty Python, so he knew about Monty Python. He was a guy that, that showed me the Holy Grail. Um, and, and that took off in awareness. I could, I could be doing the same thing about, you know, coming late to a lot of British comedy, you know, yeah. that kind of a thing. Um, and actually, there was, there was one interesting moment. I think he's, I'm trying to remember, it was quasi related to, I don't think I was heavy into the card magic at the time. But I was I was interested enough. There's still enough of an interest there, where he was the guy that pointed me at Percy Diaconus and the whole idea of the seven shuffles and whatnot. And then it was later on that I was reading 
I was reading uh, Expert Card Technique and the whole Pharaoh chapter in there and the and the eight shuffles brings it back to order, all that kind of thing. I was like, Did my dad say something about it? And I dug up this I like, Where's that scientific American you pointed me at? So I'm looking at it reading all this stuff and and uh, so it was always it was always kinda of there on the you know, just kinda of, you just plant the seed and then and then go away. And then and then my mother's uh um yeah, yeah. My, my mother, my mother is uh, again more, more, more sort of pop music oriented. Um, again, uh, very smart, avid reader, that kind of a thing, and also very, very much encouraging all of this weirdness, like letting me, you know, like you know, because every Christmas, you know, every Christmas, it's it's. What do you want? I want the Blackstone Magic Kit. I want the drawing set. I want the thing. You know, and, I, and you know, they, they she encouraged me to pursue. Um, or at least to do. There was always that weird thing, like you know, it's like the creative exercise, but have something to fall back on. And I spent a good number of years trying to find something to fall back on, and I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> I couldn't find it. <laughs> so I spent. I've had. I've had office jobs. I, I lasted just long enough. I'd always get my foot in the door, but I always lasted just like three years, just long enough to learn enough to be useless to anybody else. <laughs> like, and so I've never had. I've never had a career doing anything. I've. I've I've had job. This is the closest I've had to a career, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm three years, I'm three and a half years into this bar gig, so I'm a little worried. Uh, <laughs> you know. oh, I better start looking. I better start looking around. I'm look for another bar gig. Uh, at least this point, I can I can point and say I can point and say this is a skill set that I have. You know, yeah, I can't, yeah. can't put it on a resume, but whatever. You know, it's like you can't fill out a LinkedIn profile with. Uh, sure, you can. No, oh, I have a bottom deal, second deal, table pharaohs. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Jack Carpenter loves my shit. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's, it's a killer version of oil and water. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's um, but um, I mean you know of course now I'm like, uh, you know I, I I married very supportive to uh, to to this pursuance yeah um, because again she she called me when I met my wife she was uh, you know I was I was working I actually had <laughs> I keep joking with this I actually had three jobs when I met you and somehow I dwindled down to, you know to this um, but I was I was working selling I was I was working at tobacconist and I had an office job uh, doing data entry and then I was playing uh, I was playing music out and then um, I had a regular uh, church gig at a Catholic chapel with the same guys I was playing out with that was the fun of it like, the, the rhythm section the rhythm section wasn't Catholic but we were just we were there to make the gig but we you know it's, we yeah. were we were bringing some musicality to uh, to what was going actually the whole band was great um, but anyway so I was just doing a lot of that and then we moved up to we moved in together moved up to Watertown I got a job uh, working for a small web design firm but a guy I was the second guy hired by this it was a small company it was like six people but um, it's more of a shop um, but I was I was particularly there to be the jack of all trades because this is a one one woman trying to take her business and make it a company, and I was there to solve like office infrastructure problems like what are we going to do for a server what are we going to do for thing and then she started teaching me uh, she started handing off some of the some of the web build stuff like we became a Drupal shop so we were trying to like you know set up the site and can you build this part out and then we'll put the the coders will do the, the these two guys are coding and this woman's designing and. And again, it was this jack of all trades thing, and then and then the economy dried up a little bit, and they had to let me go because I was I was the low man on the totem pole. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, and it was and it was right before that that I that I started trying to do the uh, trying to pursue the the uh, the illustration, um, which is right around MagicCon, that first MagicCon where we met, and, the, and all the portraits I did for that. 
Um, Which you're an amazing thank you characterist. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's something that's just been I think that's been riding with me the longest. Um, And again, it's weird for a kid to be into caricature, but that kind of came out of things like kind of came out of things like um, the knowing old time you know old time comedians and then watching you know the old Looney Tunes you realize they're from the 40s and the 30s and they throw in the caricature of somebody yeah. you know the portraits are well who's that you know that's Groucho Marx who's that that's W.C. Fields and they were very sort of simple and easy to caricature so that's where you know you start there you know it's a yeah. very timely kid in the late 70s you know it's a <laughs> developing killer um so I, I tried pursuing pursuing that for a while, but it was it, again it, it wasn't able to find, wasn't quite able to find the footing for, uh, you know, to turn that into a business, you know, commission artwork, illustration, that kind of a thing. So at some point, I just ended up, uh, you know, starting to get more, you know, th- throw out there for more gigs, and I think it was even before, and then and then um, it was just, uh, Steve Freeberg and Jeff Eline. Where the guys had called me up and asked if I if I wanted to do a DVD, and we put that out with the Magic Warehouse, and uh, and then a, the bar gig came about because of Feldman. Feldman was in town. He, he he did it for a year. He pitched it. I had nothing to do with it. He just pitched the he pitched the idea, and then I came over and took over the spot when he left. Yeah. And they just they haven't found a reason to get rid of me. Is <laughs> like they, they in fact I would argue that they actually like having me around, but I've outlasted managers at this <laughs> job. <laughs> Um, so it's um, so it, it's it, yeah, it's a weird confluence of, of things and whatnot, and I'm just I'm just trying to keep it all moving forward, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. you, know you know, keep the wife happy, keep the kid happy, you know, don't lose the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of but uh, so yeah, anything else on your mind? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> How's how do you? I don't know. What's it like to have a kid? <laughs> <laughs> I it's, it's you know it's the first kid, so it's jumping off a cliff is a is a. I mean, you, you get nervous about it. it. Took it 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 took this long. Took me to my forties to kind of get my get my mental game together, um, because when we, my wife and I've been married for ten years and and. She kind of wonderful. By she, the way. She, she, she's 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 sharp as a tack. Sharper than that. Yeah, she's oh well, yeah. Guys like me marry up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the whole point there. And she's a and and she's a, she's a recognized expert. We've had some we had some fun in the early days when I started when the DVD came out and I started I started going around lecturing and then I did GGG one year and I was talking about uh, I was talking about getting flown. You know, Ken's going to fly me out and all this other kind of thing and. You know, putting together the lecture notes and trying to figure, you know, trying to figure out that you know, the lecture thing of what am I going to sell, what am I going to lecture on? Yeah. And then I said, well, you know, I'm already, you know, this, this is already paying me better than than the other lectures that I've done. And she paused for a second. She, I mean, you get paid for this? <laughs> yeah, I get paid. To, there's a lecture fee. You get paid to lecture. And at the time, she was going around. She she was actually going all over the world giving talks on MySQL. She is a MySQL database expert. Um, literally wrote the MySQL Administrator's Bible. <laughs> like, that's what it's called. Google it. That's what it's called. Um, I was there when she wrote it. It was a stressful time. But this, you know. but so she is, a, she is a recognized expert. And she was being flown all over the place talking about MySQL and open source and, and that kind of thing. She's always been a huge advocate for that kind of stuff. But they would they would play they would pay travel and hotel, yeah. and she got a, a little bit of a stipend from Oracle because she was recognized as an ace director, so it was part of that. And Oracle owned MySQL and that kind of thing. 
But she wasn't getting a speaker's fee. Yeah. That was what she that was what she said to me. She goes, You're getting a speaker's fee? And I'm like, Yeah, everybody all these all these magic clubs that I've been hitting. It's yeah, you get paid for that. She's like, I don't get a speaker's fee. She got all pissed. <laughs> but um but yeah, no, she is she is uh she is uh incredibly intelligent, incredibly capable and um and uh, when we first got married, we were actually doing well enough that she was like, she kind of wanted to start the family right away. And I was like, well, look, I, I was in the middle of the web design job, which at the time was the best job I'd ever had. And I was like, I was like, can we can we enjoy this a little bit? Can we enjoy this a little bit? And so we did. But then part of it was that I, I and particularly after I lost that job, is I just didn't have the, you know, my brain. I'm going, I'm going, what, how. Who is going to let me look after a little human? Like, what? What the hell am I going to teach a kid? Yeah. You know, like, what the hell? You know, I was a like, kid. You know. I'm barely an adult. Yeah, I barely. I am. Yeah, clearly barely an adult. Uh, you know, can't. You know, can't keep my own shit together. And now I, you know, I've got someone who requires who needs me to eat. <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. And it was just a few years ago that my. Um, it was. Uh, it was sort of for a very weird moment where. Again, my brother lives in Tokyo, and he's got four kids. Four kids now. It was like three, at the, two or three at the time, and uh, no, it was three at the time. And um, we, again, my parents see them. My parents go over there like twice a year, so they don't see their grandkids very often. And I remember going to my parents' house for Thanksgiving. It was very small. It was just my parents and me and Shiri and, and, and an aunt of mine. And I walked into my parents' kitchen, and for the first time, it's like you know when you go back to an old classroom and you don't. Like you realize how tiny everything is. Yeah. Like you, you, yeah. you, you used to be able to hide under that goddamn desk, you know. Yeah. Like you, you know, instead, like, and then you, re- you realize like, what kind of Smurf village was I, you know, was, was I raised in here? <laughs> uh, and it was, and it was, it, it wasn't that we, I had, it hadn't been back in a while because that's not true. But it was the first time I walked in and just felt like a grown ass man. Yeah. In. In. In some way, it, well, it felt like my grandparents, my, my grandmother's house. Yeah, it felt like Vavo's house, and I was like, okay. So we 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 drove as we were driving home. I said, yeah, I think it's kind, yeah, I think it's kind of time to start the start the family because shit isn't about me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it was about it was mostly about you know, Cherry wanted to start the family and my parents and my mother in particular. Um, so really, it's just I mean, every day. I mean, he's still. He's only a year and a half, and so every day is a guessing game, and yeah. he's still trying to fire. You know, he's still finding new neurons to fire and and, and uh, linkages to hook up and all that kind of thing. But um, and it cuts into the practice time. I'll tell you that right now. I can tell. <laughs> it's a, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Didn't used to take that long to get into stroke. Now, mm. um, <laughs> But it's but ultimately it's it's just a joy because you saw the kid and he's just adorable. He's, yeah, he is. Uh, he's uh, there's there's an energy. It's I'm kind of you know in a weird way not to force you know you never want to like you know force your your experience on you or shouldn't force your experience on your kid. But there's an energy there, and I've been doing just exposure. Like he's yeah. been hearing jazz piano from day one. Yeah. Mostly because I tried in the, in literally in day one in the hospital. Uh, he was he was in my arms. I was trying to sing him a lullaby, and the only thing that was coming to mind was Thelonious Monk ballads. So I said, <laughs> "Okay, I'm singing these melodies," and I'm going, "Well, why don't I just put it?" You know, I just I reach over to the to the computer, queue up iTunes, and so my wife's is on out, and we're listening to a solo piano version of Crepuscule with Nelly or something like that. And um, and so he he hears a lot of that, um, and then. 
I have like the old school Sesame Street stuff or whatever, and you know, occasional little Muppet skits or whatever, and and um, and you know, reading, you know, when I when I read to him, it's a you know, you, you gotta you know, you gotta do all the voices. <laughs> you know, yeah, you yeah. can't just recite the book. You that, did pretty good impersonations. That, well, yeah, that's a, that's another thing that came out of like you know, just watching and. Uh, um, I think it was like, like like Rich Little was in his heyday in the late seventies and that kind of a thing. So like he and he was, I'd see him on TV a few times and it was you see impressionists do things and it was kind of making the connection. Oh, that's what the voice sounded, like. and then you start fooling around with it. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. I mean, so, some days some days certain impressions are, are better than others. Uh, I find. Sure. <laughs> but, sure. Like, yeah. Like yeah. Like my Tom Waits and my Orson Welles tend to be better the morning after a night of drinking, um, but things like. Um, it was funny. I said my, my my son has this uh, uh, this book called "Good Night, Good Night Construction Site," and my wife will read it to him. And in fact, my wife has read a bunch of these books and put it on her phone so he can he like so you can just kind of like put the reading on and hear the voice, and then she can go into Genius. the room. Um, yeah, she, she, she smart and practical. Me, I'm trying to figure out I'm trying to figure out how to read the book in the best <laughs> way. So because um, you know some books are better than others. But uh, she was traveling, and I and I and I decided whenever I read Good Night Good Night Construction Site, like y- you have to do the you have to do the Brooklyn Foreman, you, you know, she, you know the day is done, the night is done, you know the construction machines you've done that day with the, you know, like that sort of you know like that, but it's but at the same time because it's because it's a Good Night book you have to lilt it so yeah. you're doing that kind of a thing. Um, there's this really crappy piece of work called the uh, Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. Um, which is essentially an alphabet book. Whether A told B and B told C, I'll meet you at the top of the coconut tree. Uh, we said the. Uh, it's, it's, sure. it's ingrained in my head now. But like I would listen to my wife read it, and then at one point I decided I decided it was a Tom Waits tune. I decided it was like Step Right Up or Pasties in a G String. So there were there were times that I actually I you know we'd give him like little percussion you know give kids percussion things like he had a shaker egg and every time he'd bring the book over to me I'd pick up the shaker egg and set him down and it'd be and B told C I'll meet you at the top of the coconut tree you know all that you know, like just yeah. get the rhythm down with it so he knows when he gets daddy he gets that kind of a thing <laughs> um, and it's why uh, when uh, don't let the pigeon drive the bus I've decided the pigeon is Joe Pesci <laughs> <laughs> all of the pigeon books it's Joe Pesci so hey pigeon want to show us your happy face never do I tell you do I get on your bus and tell you how to drive is that how you, <laughs> kind of, you know, Gilbert Gottfried will get in there at some point you know, oh, just, yeah. just to scare the child but he's you know, he's all these you know all these kind of things and just, just to see where you know, I mean, at this point, just to see where he goes with it. He likes, I mean, he 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 likes laughing. He likes yeah. laughing, and he likes he likes knowing. You can tell he likes knowing things are funny. Um, God, that's great. Which is which is really cool. Yeah, that's that that was that was another thing. Again, growing up, just trying to be, you know, just trying to be funny. I mean, at some point, you have to learn. You what's know, funny? What's funny, and how to make something funny, and where to see the funny thing. But you know, at this point, it's all. Weird physical things and and knowing like with him it's like is that why t- he likes bananas so much yeah it's something he's just gonna put it yeah he's gonna throw it down on the floor he's gonna put it in the air. no he understand he um I got a video on my phone of him uh, him walking up two steps in my parents' house uh, and actually I filmed it because he had he was crawling up them and over the course of like a twenty minute afternoon he had attempted he was walking 
but yeah. he would crawl up the steps because he didn't know how to handle it. And over the course of 20 minutes, I watched him go from crawling up and down to crawling up and walking down and crawling up and walking down and then walking up and walking down, like getting the physical thing to it. But then, so I was filming and trying to get the walking up and down and you see him, you just, you see him kind of bobble his way down the stairs and he's off in the room and then you see him come back up and he tries to take a step up and then it's just ass over tea kettle backwards. And all I say is whoops. And you can hear him start laughing in the other room before I start laughing and then I start laughing and he thinks that now he knows it's funny yeah. <laughs> you know because daddy's you know daddy's losing his nut um, so yeah yeah just did you know and all the things that he'll understand later on like you know he played peekaboo with the kid but I figured out when we were out to did a dinner one time and we were trying to keep him occupied with peekaboo so I was it was it was with a napkin we were throwing it over his head and he'd pull it off and you throw it over his head and he'd pull it off again or you could do it with your own you know your hand and you'd pull it off but I, I dubbed that the Scooby-Doo game because at that point you put the thing over his head and before he pulls it off, you have to name like, you know, you know, the seventies guest star celebrity. From, you know, it's not nuts. Now, now we'll see who this, now we'll see who the phantom really is. Phyllis Diller. You know, like, I kinda, like, that would, like that was, it's just kind of coming up. Jonathan Winters, you know, just come up with these names. You know, it's just yeah, it's stuff that amuses me and my wife as much as it amuses the kid. Like he doesn't—he doesn't know this. He doesn't know what anything. He doesn't know who Scooby Doo is. Yeah. But um, that was my Phyllis Diller laugh, by the way. No, that, <laughs> ah! Ah! <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> up there, up there, up there with the uh, the Paul Schaefer fire alarm. <laughs> oh my God, Paul Schaefer <laughs> was one of my heroes growing up. David Letterman and Paul Schaefer together. <laughs> were like oh god yeah the greatest mm. some of my, I've, I've said this on podcasts before but some of my first words were curse words because I would watch Letterman every night there you go <laughs> that's the way to do it yeah yeah it wasn't so much it wasn't so much uh, late night stuff for me but there you know comedy albums actually uh, I remember Eddie Murphy Comedian which was the album of um of uh, the the video concert that's delirious yeah. in, the, in the red jumpsuit and all that other kind of stuff. I remember somebody in the, somebody in the neighborhood had one of those tapes and a, and a boombox, so we'd wow. listen to that and laugh our asses off. And and before that, it was Bill Cosby, History's Greatest Monster. Um, <laughs> you know, just the, the idea that yeah, I mean, you know, there's a that's a whole body of work that that uh, has been tainted. Is, has been has been enormously tainted at this point, but it's. You know, part of it. and then at some point I, I discovered Carlin and that kind of a thing. Yeah, but it was, but it was, um, but yeah, when you're a kid, this guy actually the funny thing, there's a there's a family story about the um, about uh, about the Eddie Murphy bit. I was in the car with I don't think my mother was there. I think it was I think it was it was her two sisters, my two aunts, two of my aunts rather, and for whatever reason, somehow it came up. Somehow, somehow Eddie Murphy came up. I think he might—he might have still been on SNL at the time, or something like that. And and I mentioned the idea that I mentioned the idea that that, that I I'd heard the album and I knew whatever. Uh-huh. And I started. I started doing the barbecue, the bit about barbecues, the yeah. whole you know, you know why is a drunken dad and why is a faso big Gus? And I I boulderized it. Like I, I, I was trying. Was, it was, it was this. I, I don't know how old I was. I had to have been like six or seven. But they're cra- I think they were cracking up just that I was trying. Like, yeah. Nobody was shutting this down. But I, but I was, I was trying to, I was trying to do the bit and recite the bit verbatim and get all the rhythms. 
and and not have to say motherfucker in front of in front of my Jehovah's Witness aunt, you know, like that kind of so, you know, get all this stuff in your. And I and, I, and my wife and I are convinced that that uh, his first proper Ruben's first proper word is going to be is going to be something inappropriate. I'm pushing for butt just to kind of keep it. You know, just, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah try to keep try to keep push for butt. But that's cute. Yeah, but butt can be butt's, cute, and it's a yeah, cute kid yeah. word. Yeah, you, yeah, you can be. It's, it, it'll be inappropriate in some contexts, but it's not. You know, yeah, not teaching them. To, you know, I'm not. I'm not reading, getting them to run down the Carlin list. Yeah, the Carlin know? list. <laughs> 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 it's just, oh, uh, life is weird. I don't know. Mozart. Mozart's what he listens to when he sleeps. Now we're listening to Carlin. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, he goes to bed in Korea. One of these days, we're going to start throwing in the early. <laughs> we'll throw. We'll, we'll throw in the little David years for of Carlin for him. <laughs> Save the save the angry, you know, jamming in New York for his teenage years when he's got the bile to deal with it. There you <laughs> go. God, that was one of my biggest struggles growing up was I learned curse words very young from older boys in the neighborhood. Yep, same here. And not cursing in front of my family was like the hardest thing in the world. Yep. And the scariest thing in the world. I accidentally said fuck when I was on the phone with my mom the other day. Mm-hmm. And I was like... <gasps> Like, like, I was, I was just, I was laying on my couch. I was talking to her, blah, 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 the fucking thing. And then like, I stopped and then just kept going. And she just didn't. Swearing in front of your parents. I, I, it was a few years ago. I, I'm, I, I reached a plateau now where I, I can, I can, I will curse in front of, in front of my parents. But it's judicious and kind of swallowed. Like we're acknowledging, yes, I'm in my goddamn 40s. I, mean, I can, yeah. 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 But I, when I when I first started doing it, it sort of carelessly, you know, and realized, yeah. oh, sure, you know, and there's still a little bit of trying not to do it around the kid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, so you brought him here. So we brought him here. <laughs> so I was hoping Ken Gunn would show up, and then <laughs> just we'll let that run down. Oh, uh, but yeah, no, it's it's uh, yeah, that's a, that's a funny thing swearing and swearing in front of your parents and 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 learning and and like the the weird like dirty jokes you learn for as kids, yeah, you know, and they're not and they're not they're not, they're not complete filth and porn, but they're that they're that they're that prurient. We're, the we're talking about the stuff you're not supposed to giggle yeah. giggle. Um, so yeah, all that all this. Yeah, I remember I remember learning learning to curse in the neighborhood. A couple kids are ahead of us because their parents were a little looser with it than mine were. My parents did my parents uh, did curse at all uh, growing up. Um, and, if, and if they if they did, it was something serious. It was just, yeah. You know, but um, but yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. Life is weird. <laughs> I keep coming back to that. <laughs> My life is weird, anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm happy for you, man. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's a, it's you know I, I, I can't complain about it. That's the that's the thing. It's it's a it's a good life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it's it's anything I can complain about at this point is is isn't 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 unfixable. Yeah. You know, and the stuff that is going well is going really well. I mean, I love I love performing. I love yeah. I love coming to being able to come to stuff like this. Um. Yeah, you know, home life is great, and and uh, and and be and being asked to do something like this is great because I'm <laughs> pretty sure you're gonna put this up. No, he's gonna know who the hell I am. <laughs> That's fine. Those are some of the best episodes. Well, there you go. Right? Yeah. It's, it's part of the. I'm I'm a member of the Boston Underground. Yeah. <laughs> I am the Boston Underground. There's no. <laughs> there's all the people everybody knows. And then there's me. Oh, uh, it's actually. It's, um. Uh, Williamson downstairs 
uh, came over at one point because he saw Ed Kwan was sitting next to me and I was sitting next to Ed Kwan and Ed's so sweet and so eager as in, like, I, I, it's the only way I get the youthful you know vigor yeah. you, know, you look at somebody and you go eh, shut up <laughs> but, no, but, but Ed's you know pop the brakes kid yeah, yeah but he's so but again he's, he's, he's like he's over, earnest he's earnest and he's overclocking his processor because he's, he's he, he gets to share you know, he keeps telling. He keeps telling. He's like in Korea, nobody does this. You know, so, so I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh yeah, no, yeah, let's. And, you know, we have mutual friends, so like, so. And he's sitting there wanting to show me things, and I'm showing him how I do it, and we're just sitting there, and I'm just doing the thing that I almost never do, which is which is just sit and, and work the chops and show off. I'm I'm almost always everything has to be in the context of a routine. I will never uh, if I'm if I'm going to show you something. Yeah. You know, if it has to be in the context of a routine. But, you know, or sometimes just, you know, just a casual demo. But, but I'm sitting there shuffling. Williamson sort of walked up between the two of us. And he looked down at what I was doing, because Ed was talking to somebody else. He looked down at what I was doing. He goes, where are you come from again? Where were you down from again? I said, Boston. He goes, who do you hang out with in Boston? And I started to kind of formulate the, the, the answer of that there's not such a huge close-up scene in Boston, which, of course, and Williamson finished the sentence for me. He goes, because there's nobody who does this in Boston. Because <laughs> I'm doing, you know, I'm doing ace controls and everything like that, and I'm yeah. shuffling and getting them up to the top. He's like, there's nobody. I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, I know the, you know, I know the, I know the, the heavy hitters like Dave Oliver and Steve Godolfer and guys like that. But it's, you know, yeah, no, there's, there's no, If I want to talk about this, I book a plane ticket. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> go find, go find, or I drive up to Ladani's or I, or I, I uh, go visit Darwin or something like that. You know, <laughs> but it's. But um, yeah, but that's one of the great things about coming to a weekend like this. Yeah, yeah. What the heck time is it? What, it is. Uh, it's quarter six. six. Yeah. Shit. Well, yeah, let's just do the the final questions. And we'll okay. If, I didn't know if you. I didn't know if you had any or, or what was going on there. Yeah. We could figure uh, so out what's, going on. what's what's like the best lesson you've learned working at the bar? The best lesson I've learned working at the bar is. That's personal to you. No, I can. No, I can. I I know exactly, and I, and I can I can point to it because I have them in my wallet. When I first when I first got there, I kind of hit the when I first got there, I kind of hit the ground running. Yeah. Which was nice because as I was talking about before, when you, you know, I, I spent all that time learning how to talk to strangers in bars and learning how to whatever. So that became vocational training in some way. Yeah. You were comfortable way. there already. I was already comfortable, so I was already doing the thing I was doing. I was just on the other side of the bar. Yeah. But then. There was one night I came in, and there was a there was a um, uh, there was a woman at the bar who sort of very quickly said, "Ah, okay, go ahead, do something." I said, "Okay," so I started to do something, and she wouldn't give me any rope whatsoever. You know, you know the type that thinks thinks a magic trick is a is a science experiment. Mm-hmm. So they question everything, stop you every bit of the way, and so it became a it became a, a you know it became a tussle. I mean, not a physical tussle, but it's that you're in that. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to get to the end of it. So much friction. Yeah, I'm just trying to get to the end of a card trick, for example. And it got even worse because it was a, it was kind of like a warm spring day, and I think between between the reaction and and just being fat and overdressed is like I actually started to sweat a little bit, and somebody pointed it out, which of course doesn't help. So, but I was in a I, I was in a position, and I was I kept I kept moving forward, thinking if I could just show her a good one. Mm-hmm. If I could, if I could fool her, she'll be on my like. That was my approach. Yeah. Was if I if, if I could just if I could, if I could get her if I could if I could just fool her and and then I'd, I'd win her over. I'd, I'd, I'd get her. And so I, I I dragged us both through, 
a uh, one more and succeeded, I guess, in getting to the end of the trick in a way that she didn't have anything to say anymore. Mm-hmm. So she was like, oh, she resigned, you know. And then just as a little Philip at the end, I said, I said, yeah, you know what, that's... No, I, I appreciate I appreciate the beating. Um, you know, here, why don't you take a pen? Would you write your name on this on this card? Because and I put it back in the deck. I said, because next time I see you, I want to remember your name. And then, as an afterthought, I said, oh, and just in case you want to remember any of this, and I pulled the card out of the wallet. Yeah, you know, just that little at, let extra, you know, yeah, trying yeah. to put, you know, thinking thinking I'd won. And what it had, and then I walked away. And I was shook enough that I remember talking to one of the bartenders afterwards. Going, you were there. You were near. You were there for that. You were nearby. Was I all right? I don't mean with her. I mean, what what was everybody else seeing out of me? Because if the if the rest of the bar was looking at me like I'm some kind of asshole, then I'm out of a job. Yeah. You know, I was like, you know, it, it's e- it's easy to be good when everything's going well. You yeah, know, it's like yeah. you got to figure out how, what to do. And so he was like, yeah, no, you, I mean, it was, it was, yeah, I mean, the, the picture was clear. You weren't being the, the you were handling yourself, but you could tell you were stressed. I was like, okay, fine. Yeah, I tend to wear, I tend to wear it on my sleeve where, whether, whether or not I, I, th- I think I'm succeeded. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but then what had happened was I, I go down the other end of the bar and one of the other bartenders comes over and she goes, oh, she left this. And I don't, I don't remember if I, you'd left this and, and um. I, when I do sign card stuff and I do the souvenir, I, I actually I stuff these little envelopes with my business card, and you make the you know make the showing of you know the lines about oh it's a full leather carrying case but you can't tell you know yeah and she goes oh you left it. she she looked she looked at the envelope she opened it up and saw it was a playing card she brought it to me she goes we left this at the other end of the bar and I opened it up I look it up and there's a card with her name on it she just I'd given it to her and then she just and then and fucked off so I carry that card with me. As a reminder that that is not that is not the game to play. That is not the game we are playing, and that is not a game I am not going to play. I am going to play again. Yeah. Gauge it and fit and get the hell out of Dodge if they don't. Because the whole point. I mean, the, the beauty of this particular gig is that is that yeah, I'm not getting. One of the managers once said, uh, one of the guys that hired me said, "Well, at least you're, you you know when you're not paying you by the trick." Yeah. You know, it's not a situation where everybody has to see some magic, and you have to have proof that everybody has to see some magic. Some people just want to sit at the bar and be left alone. Yeah. Some people I'll have a conversation with for fifteen minutes, and they're satisfied, and I'm satisfied, and I don't have to do a damn thing. Yeah. But it was the, it was it was very quickly getting out of that mindset of, of I'm going to fool you, and then, and then I'll win you over. Yeah. No, no. That's we, transactional. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Trans- exactly. It's a trans. It's a whole transactional thing. And I'd rather just win. O- I'd rather win somebody over by, you know, saying something funny or clever, uh, just on its own. Yeah. Or, you know, if what they want is no magic and nothing from me, then you get that too. You know, like knowing, knowing you can walk away from a situation like yeah. that. And I learned that. I learned that it was maybe about, maybe three months into the gig. Wow, and it was I, I'd never, and I'm sure that collective sound is uh, all of the any pros who might end up listening to this going, Duh. but <laughs> like all at once, <laughs> like Jedi. <laughs> but um, but it was but I but, sense a disturbance, right? Yeah, but to have that very visceral memory, yeah, of you know you, when you walk away from something that that, that that very clearly fucked up, and you go, well, wh- where did it fuck up? Yeah. 
and to be able to well and how and, much of that is like and how and how much well and 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 to understand in that very zen like way that the um that the only thing i have any control over is me and what i'm doing yeah so at some point you you know like if you don't have the awareness to walk away from it then you know you know you you have no one to blame but yourself yeah. <laughs> as i have as i have said so many times um so yeah i think that's the most important lesson that i learned uh from a performance standpoint yeah. uh, at the bar and it's and it's come in handy i've 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 run into I don't run into very often, but I run into a few people who you can you can tell right away you can tell immediately, and then you just get the hell out of dodge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the most important. That's that's yeah, that's the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> so uh, next question. What's your favorite magic book? Favorite magic book. Oh wow. Favorite magic book. Surprise, surprise! It's probably going to be one of the Ortiz books. Um. And I, I'm probably going to have to say Strong Magic because solid. Because it is solid. I mean, it's it's not you know it's not a slim pamphlet. I mean, you know, I, I think part of the I think part of the appeal to some people uh, of designing miracles over Strong Magic is designing miracles is a shorter book. But but there's nothing there's nothing in Strong Magic that I don't think. I, Somebody's going to call me out on the way on the way I phrase this, but I don't think I, the people I've heard complain about strong magic. I always want to say, okay, point to me something in the book that's wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing if you know you you the, you know you, you're you're trying to compare it to to you know how you receive Darwin's performance style, yeah. and Darwin's been making a living at this. You know, as long as I longer than I've been alive, so you know, so there's there's a certain criteria there, um, and yeah, then maybe there's maybe there are performers you like better than Darwin, but there's nothing in the book when you just abstract it and apply it to your own thinking. I've yet to have somebody point out to say that's completely and utterly that bit is completely and utterly posted. A lot of people will point to the part where he talks about his criteria, yeah, and it's like, well, yeah, that's Darwin, and yes, maybe I've adopted some of that. But that's also me, yeah. you know. And the whole point of it is, is that's you, and this is me, and this yeah, is, yeah. and um, it's just giving the tools there for, for it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a dense toolkit, but it's a, it's a solid toolkit. So I probably, I probably throw that out there. But there, there are other books that I enjoy. Um, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's probably the one. I mean, you know, they're the ones, the, the ones you. I mean, there's all those those lists of books that you keep going back to the well, you know, things like yeah. expert card technique and and uh, actually the card magic of Paul is one of those you pull it off. Oh, the, every time you pull it off the shelf and you go back through it, you're like, yeah, why did I forget that? You know, <laughs> so that kind of you know, you go back and you throw it in there. So uh, favorite non magic book. Favorite non magic book. It's interesting. Um, I don't know. I'm just trying to think. I'm just trying to cast back. Think if there's think if there's something I quote. There's a book series that, um, well, a couple book series that I that I, uh, you know, sort of near and dear to my heart, just in that sort of entertainment, you know, fiction kind of way. And of course, one's the one's the Hitchhiker's Guide um, trilogy. Uh, all five of them, I think. Uh, mostly the first four, <laughs> but, but the Hitchhiker's Guide. But then there's another book series um, by by an. Um, 
friend of mine turned me on to this is, and again, this is one of those. The later books aren't quite as much fun as the as the earlier ones. But uh, Spider Robinson, um, uh, they're, they're ostensibly sci-fi, but the first few take place at a, at a bar in Long Island called called Callahan's. Um, and there's some sci-fi elements because there's like aliens showing up at the, but it takes place this the 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 the, the it's you know it's it's like a TV show that's a box episode or the setting like Cheers you know yeah, it's like yeah. a, it's a Cheers type atmosphere and you got the whole you know like all the different characters in the bar and everything like that and it's about it ultimately becomes about camaraderie and the sort of not not just a bar full of alcoholics but the, like that sort of you know that that the, again that place where everybody knows your name. And the the little motto that they have is, you know, um, was it shared pain is lessened and shared joy increases. And it's that sort of let's sit down over a beer and talk about this and raising toast to things and you have something to get off your mind. And again, on top of all of that, you've got aliens and, you know, fairies and things showing up for weird. And there's, and there's wordplay and puns and everything like that. And it's just a very, it's a, it, it, for an escapist read, it was, it was, it was uh you know, I, I really got a kick out of it, and I really I enjoy going back and reading those. And there's also a companion series um, where apparently Callahan's wife also ran a whorehouse in New York. So there's a there's a whole one that there's a whole version of that that takes place at a brothel, you know, <laughs> with, a, with a with a similar and yet different different cast of characters. So that's I mean, just not not something. I mean, a little little more escapist and a little less uh, uh, little less. Uh, I don't know, meaningful is the word, but you know, sure. you know, you know. I'm not talking about like Zen mind, beginner's mind, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, so yeah. Hey, if anybody hasn't read the read the uh, the Callahan series, I'd say check it out. If that sounds like your idea of a good time. Yeah, sounds cool. So, yeah. uh, favorite album. Favorite album. Yeah, I'm gonna. That, that was. I remember that being a question on my college application, and I'm gonna kind of. I'm gonna kind of stick to the same answer back then, and I I get a huge iTunes library at this point. Um, but coming out of high school, my favorite album was Chick Corea's "My Spanish Heart," which is sort of this like jazz purists would look at that going because eh, it's this it's this Latin flavored fusiony thing. But there's also some wonderful acoustic numbers in there. And I think the thing that appealed to me about it was that the it, it was one of these albums where the album it's, it was it was two LPs. I remember a friend of mine lent it to me and I taped it off the two LPs and I since have it on CD. But it's you know, I've always I'm a huge fan of Chick Corea's playing yeah. and the album itself is it's one of those with a shape. The whole thing you know side A is a shape. It's yeah. it's. It's it's almost like a suite or a you know a symphony of things, and some of the pieces are very deliberately, you know, Spanish Fantasy Part One, Spanish Fantasy Part Two, but it's but uh, some amazing amazing playing on that. And one of my favorite songs comes off that album is his uh, Armando's Rumba, which is, is just always just stuck in my head. It was just it's such a great upbeat, you know, up, uplifting with that Latin Latin tinge to it. Um, actually, uh, my wife uh, my wife uh, marched down there. I booked the band for the wedding. My wife marched down the aisle to the title track to My Spanish Heart because it's this this perfect rhapsodic, <laughs> you know, romantic tune. And uh, she said, I was in charge of the music, so you get what you pay for. <laughs> um, and I think since then, I, well, you know, no, I'll stick with that. I'll stick with that. All right, cool. So, And then uh, what was the hardest time you were ever fooled? 
The hardest time I was ever fooled? Yeah. Oh, that's a that's a funky question. I try not to. I don't know. There's there's a couple different ways. There's like Jason Ladani has pulled a couple things on me that have, that have. I still don't know how he's pulling it off, and he's and he's teases me with it, and he wants me to start. Whenever we get together, there are things I've done for him. Like I know I've gotten him if he starts swearing. Like he'll start swearing in the middle of a trick. Yeah. And I'll start swearing in the middle of his tricks now. Like, you know, because if I whether or not he's fooling me, if I know if I if I know if I can see where it's going. And I know it's as good an idea as I expect it to be. Yeah. And he's, you know, I'm just like, you little bastard, you know. And then, but then he'll see me do, he'll, he'll see me do some things. He's like, oh, you know, we're swearing at each other. Yeah. But there are a couple things. He's got a couple beaters under his under his belt that that he's shown to me, and I just you, know, you do that slow burn kind of. Mm, and I'm not going to ask him to tip, but you know that kind of a thing. But then there's stuff like up until last year's uh, last year's Pebble. Um, I didn't the the cube guys the Rubik's cube guys yeah because uh, I know Garrett and uh, I know Carl mm-hmm. uh, in Garrett in particular I've seen him I, I, I spent more time with him but but um, just the the all that cube stuff I know Steve Brundage as well but Garrett was the guy that I, I think was the first guy I really saw do the yeah and he does those beautiful wave changes and everything like that I had no idea how that worked. And I didn't want to know how it worked. Yeah, those are the things that you like. I, I like. There's the stuff that I've, that I've seen people do. Like, I, I, if you ask me how it works, no. But I don't, you know. And and yeah, I'm probably light years away from the answer. Um, if I had to think about it, but I'll just kind of. I'll. I always like to appreciate a trick in its own But then there's some. That I think I, I like the fooling moments better. Where I'm like, I have no idea how that works, and I have no no desire to know. Yeah. And I want to say because it was up until last year, Carl Heim lectured, and he started talking about some of the cube stuff, and 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 the bubble broke and the bubble burst. Yeah. Like I'd see, I'm watching him. Like, yes, I love it. Less, I love it. And then he started explaining. And I'm like, asshole, leave the room. Don't stay. And 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 now, I have a little. You know, I have a little more insight. I don't do any of it, but a little more insight into the. Oh, into the workings of it, and it's and I know I'm not going to get that that feeling back. I know I'm not going to get that back. Yeah. So it's um, I I don't know if I can ever point to one one particular, but I think that's a moment. That's a related. I think that's a that's a that's a related enough moment where I'm just like like I would have I would have loved for that to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know that kind of a thing. Um, what about like a really hard moment of astonishment where it's like you got kicked by a donkey? Um, I mean, I've seen some, I've seen some great, great stuff. I mean, I saw, I saw it, uh, in and of itself in uh, uh, in New York, and of course when when turn around that brick's not there anymore uh, <laughs> without without spoiling um, but again just like that moment I mean it's, that's it's a that's a that's a beautiful beautiful vanish um, trying to kick in the kick in the gut kind of moment um, yeah I mean, well, maybe there maybe there are a few I'm trying to think because again just the, the way I relate to the magic is is Again, I, I know I absolutely know that that's that that's part and parcel of the experience. But at the same time, um, I don't, you know, I never I never set out for the. I mean, layman, yeah, I'm going to fool you. That's my job. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going to deceive. I'm going to illusion you. I mean, whatever it's. Yeah. 
But I remember there were there was some. I remember just, when Darwin Darwin came out with scams and fantasies, and there were some numbers. There were some items in there that some numbers. <laughs> there were some numbers, some bits. Yeah, you know, like some gags in there. Some, 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 some of the bits, yeah. there was some shtick in there some that tunes. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> there was some, a couple tunes in there. Right. Yeah, yeah, a couple tunes, a couple ballads. But there, no, there were some items in there that that I like that. I like calling tricks tunes. Yeah, I, I like might that. as well. Yeah, that's, that's, good. that's a good that way to approach it. Yeah, that's a good way to approach that. Just the way I think about it. But there were some items in there that really. Started. They, 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 I mean, because again, when you read them in the book, you don't get to see them. You just got to get a, get a, you know, you get a description, then you walk through it. And the 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 the, the boulder was tr- starting to tip on on the game changer for the way I approach magic and and specifically how I construct things and how I, how I started being a creative. And a good chunk of in the, in a lot of those places, you know, in the credits is oh, the original idea for this came from Andrew Wimhurst and his boy and his. Did, down under you know down under deals or low down dirty tricks or or the video he put out with Mike Maxwell so I'm like well great now I gotta find out who this asshole is uh, <laughs> and so Andrew has since become a very very dear friend of mine uh, even though we've, we've met in person twice and, and he lives on the other side of the world uh, we communicate uh, quite a bit often but I remember the very first time this is before I met him I'm like so I finally tracked down the, the only thing I could find was the video I tracked down the video, and from the little B-roll stuff of his hands in the beginning to that entire card act ending with uh, his great trick, Johnny Mnemonic, and taking the shuffle deck. You know, the deck's been shuffled a couple different times. He's going through, he's memorizing, mesmerizing, and then he gives it a couple shuffles, and he deals out the perfect, the perfect bridge hands. I was like, that was it for, again, for trying to figure out yeah, that that was. I think that that's that's for me. It was the kick in the gut of, and of course, I was immediate. Like I didn't know what the hell I was looking at. You know, then you go to the explanations on the tape, and it's there. But to to have no idea, to, to know to know a fraction of what I know now, you know, thinking like, what's the direction, and then seeing that, you know, it's like, all, all right, all right, okay, got to step the game up now. This is a you know, the things you don't th- when you th- when you see things you don't think are possible. Yeah. And then somebody turns around and does them. I mean, that's the whole point of the job. But then you know, it's you know, um, I think I think that yeah, I'd put that as a I put that as a as a pretty huge bone because he's got a couple of a couple of those in there where I was just like, okay, I don't know a goddamn thing. <laughs> you know? And it's and I remember I remember uh, Magicon seeing Juan Tamaris for the first time in person doing his shtick and uh, that shtick. Uh, but doing his, the, the, you know, the, the sort of private performance, and then at the end, Gary Plants walked past me, and I'm just, I'm still shaking my head, and he just put his hand on his shoulder. He goes, "Doesn't it feel great to feel like you don't know anything at all?" And I went, "I'm gonna get a bourbon." <laughs> just kind of, you know, like that's just that, you know, it's 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 the it's the fun in this in this. You know, on some level, you could figure it. You know, you could find out, or you could learn it. But just knowing you just got beat about the head and neck by someone who's thinking, you know, just 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 playing the chess game so much better, you know, the better, like with so many more pieces, like you, you're working on a nine by, you know, a three by three board, you know, yeah, yeah. A, oh yeah, this is an easy game, yeah, try it on the full one, oh god, you know. That's that. <laughs> So, so I guess I guess that's a I guess that's an answer there. I, I don't know if that's, yeah, no, that's uh, great. Right. 
Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. No, it was a, it was a fun little gab. I mean, eventually somebody's going to sit in a room with me and listen to me go on for about two hours, and it was your turn to battle, so. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Magical Thinking. If you enjoyed the show, head over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Magical Thinking and become a patron to support the show and get access to exclusive content. Feel free to interact with me on Patreon, through the Facebook group, which you can find by searching Magical Thinking, or by emailing podcast at artofmagic.com. Follow us on all the social media channels and tune in every Thursday for a new episode. I'll see you next Thursday. Cheers. Cheers.